and welcome back to Watching Worst Film, the weekly podcast where we journey through the winners and losers from the Golden Raspberry Awards, the annual ceremony dedicated to the very worst that cinema has to offer. As always, I'm your host Kyle, joined by the wonderful man-bear spirit himself, Mr. Jericho Reed. Thank you for having me. And we are sticking around in 1994 for the picture Color of Night, directed by Richard Rush, best known for The Stuntman, a movie I've not seen. Have you? <laughs> no. And, yeah, no. And starring Bruce Willis, best known as everyone's favorite relatable down-to-earth police officer in the hit movie Cop, Cop Out. Out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and co-starring Jane March, best known for Color of Night. So, um, yeah, take us away, Jericho. What's your background with this movie? Okay, so you're throwing over to me immediately. I had... <laughs> no, wait, I do have more. I okay, do have okay, more. I okay. your background. Um, I had... I thought you were like, oh, that's it. I've said all I have to say. <laughs> I'm going to leave you for two hours, come back and see what you've come up with. Um, I had not heard of it. It could almost be like a, a Steven Seagal type title. It has one of those vaguely mm. enigmatic colour of kill... Like, it has, like, a pulpy kind of noir title. Which is, um, so- sorry to interrupt, but that's exactly the reason this was picked for uh, this episode. Um, oh, okay. This, picks, this episode was picked at random by my girlfriend, who was featured in the last episode. She's upgraded from the girlfriend to you've claimed her. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, maybe not after this movie, but uh, <laughs> um, Yeah, just because she thought it had that, you know noir sounding quite quite intriguing title yeah be like a blue velvet could go anyway you know yeah so anyway sorry continue so the title was vaguely um enigmatic and sort of conjured up sort of pulpy expectations where i was like okay okay i'm i'm open to this it gives me more flavor than shining through there's a little bit of intrigue there i was ready for some hard-boiled detectives some femme fatales but no expectations i didn't even know bruce willis was in it until we googled the cast yeah. Um, so absolutely nothing, really. Yeah, no, that's the exact same as me. I'm not a massive Bruce Willis fan, as in I watch his entire filmography. Not like Steven. You know, <laughs> different. So yeah, I've never even heard of this. This is just completely new for me. Did you have the return of Bruno on vinyl? <laughs> well, no, I've, oh, well, that's, I've coming up to that. We've got much to discuss. I have, <laughs> I have a, a record. I'll, I'll post a photo of it here for the Twitter. But it's, I think it's under the boardwalk. EP, mm-hmm. which is released when around the time he did his SNL uh, guest appearance, yeah. which is hilarious. But yeah, like unlike Seagal, that that's pure irony. That, um, <laughs> I, that, that that was a hipster purchase from fifteen years ago. It's not. It's never really been played. It's just, it is a joke. Okay, that's a relief because I could 100% see you unironically being like, Bruce Willis the musician. Yeah, you might know him from some films. I think he was in Die Hard or something, but Return of Bruno, ooh, that's his... uh... I could have made that joke twice. Um, I was at Billy Bob, you know, best known for his musical career. Yeah. And Steven Seagal, best known for his musical career. Yeah. Uh, they're less ironic, but no, no. Uh, Bruce, no real attachment, not enough to go through this. But anyway, just for some context mm-hmm. um, for the movie itself and the time period we're in, what is the equivalent at the Academy Awards? Do you know? Um, 94. Oh, hang on. So 94, is that Forrest Gump? I'm always a one year off because I'll yeah, get the release yeah. date, but not the yeah, okay. Um, narrowly beating out the Flintstones. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, a random guess: What do you think the Simpsons era? We're in a prime time at this, so like we might as well feature it. What 
what Simpsons episode? What's the most recent one? I have to say Michael Jackson because it's going to be him eventually. <laughs> it's going to be a broken clock. No, it's um, Secrets of a Successful Marriage, the um, great episode where Homer goes to become a teacher about marriage counselling. Oh, um, yeah, that is a pretty good one, yeah. It's, it's my streetcar named Desire episode that I <laughs> spoke to you about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's where we are in the world. So, anyway, before we go any further, with a budget of $40 million, mm-hmm. do you know the returns of this film? Um, Let's say 20 Seven million. No, um, I'm not even close today. Uh, Forty-six point seven million. Oh, pretty good. So, a lot of people turning it, out to see Bruce Willis's cock and balls. Yeah. Um. So yeah, covering covering the budget, but not getting a sequel. So yeah, that's that's our film. This is our film. I got very excited when I seen it's written story by and screenplay by Billy Ray, and uh, not Cyrus. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I got my hopes up. Um, best known for. As we later found out, at Terminator Dark State, mm-hmm. The Hunger Games, at Captain Phillips, and Flight Plan. Which, so. Captain Phillips, great movie. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, really enjoy that. Yeah, no, fair, fair play to him. So let's see what we've got. Now I'm going to hand it over to you. <laughs> now it's all up on you, buddy. Okay, I don't think it's even worth covering at this point to say how we found it because you should just probably accept that this is piracy of the podcast. And if <laughs> if it's pre if it's pre millennium, it's pirated. If it's yeah, if it's like from that like like you know Netflix thinks that cinema started in like two thousand seventeen, mm-hmm. so we're not going to rent it off Amazon, so most likely pirated. But this film begins and it gets you off with sort of worryingly high expectations like this film peaks within the first 30 seconds 100 so, even when we started watching this i i watched the first 22 minutes without you yeah thinking you were just stunned into silence <laughs> um, <laughs> and i i was so excited because yeah it's what's reflected in my backdrop here yeah um before you go further but these opening just opening scenes in general I, I, I didn't know what to expect, and I was so excited. Yeah, so the first note I have is Dutch angles, because we get a slightly canted angle on a sort of therapist, therapy office, and there is a woman who, um, through you having her as your background, I said she looks kind of like Karen O, but I think it's just in that one screenshot, because she ha- all you can really see is bangs and red lipstick, and that could be a microphone, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, not a huge resemblance to Karen O from the AAS, apart from this one still which Kyle has found. Anyway, she has what I can only describe as a Joker moment, where um, mm-hmm. it, like that iconic scene from Todd Phillips's Twisted Joker, where Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix is crying while pulling his face up into a smile. She's putting <laughs> lipstick on while sort of like. She is crying, isn't she? She's crying, she's yeah, moaning, yeah, she is, she's yeah. she's just sort of like lamenting her life to her therapist about how things are awful, off-screen therapist. She's like, yeah, ah, so what's, seen, what's yeah. the point? I don't want to live anymore. And then she um, is in uh, hysterics, and that was where I made the note that this is worse acting than anything in Deadly Ground, which we watched last week yeah. and is the uh, other heavy hitter for this year's Razzies. Not least because it includes Michael Caine delivering a worse performance than Steven Seagal, something I never thought I'd see. <laughs> um, but she then pulls out a gun, and mm-hmm. uh, I think I was typing it to you. I was like, oh, she's filleting this gun because she puts it in her mouth just a little bit too deep. And then, yeah. no, she actually just does, it, like, full on. Yeah, yeah, which I really enjoyed. I, I, I just... <laughs> 
I didn't know what to expect. Something was <laughs> walking in me seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> something um something I wasn't expecting though, like right off the bat. Yeah. Um, and I'm all I'm always up for unpredictability. I'm always up for yeah, genuinely it was for a thriller, you know, like I'm I'm not often thrilled, but um no. the first twenty seconds or so yeah, like again with the unseen psychiatrist as well. But, yeah, great. It's an erotic thriller. I'm here to be thrilled and I'm here to be eroticized. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. In in what would turn out to be a, an incredibly generic film for the following two hours and 18 minutes, where everything we saw was just kind of like something you'd seen before in other crap films or student theatre, mm. that opening minute was like something that I'd never really seen before. <laughs> Um, yep. So then she finishes sucking off the gun and throws herself out a window. Yes. So she tumbles down to the streets below, hits the pavement, pool of blood uh, pulls out, and then we are introduced to the off-camera therapist, who is our beloved Bruno, Mr. Willis, Dr. Mm-hmm. Willis, who <laughs> then adopts the sort of like film noir voiceover to speak about yep. how it was the reddest blood I ever saw. And my note for this yes. is the least red blood I ever saw. <laughs> because, like, I don't know if it's the 1994 effects. I don't know what it is. But, like, they they change the colour of the blood. Like, it's, it, I think, in order to have it, like, seeping out and to then change yeah. colour, it's done digitally. And so because of that, it has a weird pinkish hue, which blood very much does not have. No, a hundred percent. And I again, I uh, I picked up on that as well. Like the um the impact, let's just say, of um the this patient is very. It's meant to be so shocking, and you know, it's it's held on. You know, yeah. the shots held on for as long as possible. But yeah, it it kind of looks like. Right, under, and I know nineteen ninety four is a different time. You know, I'm thinking Mortal Kombat and all that. You know, all the controversy of gore and violence is going on, and um everything's going back and just to try and keep it rating somewhat you know not x i guess yeah I'm, i imagine yeah that this is not what they envisioned when he was writing it you know i'm thinking you're know, like midsummer or something yeah something yeah shocking yeah but, i think um, you're being very generous that. in assuming this this erotic thriller which includes bruce willis's penis I, is trying to avoid think, getting a higher I, rating because of having too realistic I, blood I I, I I guess we'll get into it more but the kind of battle between the director and the producer yeah um, when you read about the information this is what makes me think this you know there's and maybe in maybe the director's director's cut there's a fifth cut out there with extended gore yeah. um, but no <laughs> but again it's the point is you know he's been so traumatized by the site that he is temporarily partially become um, colorblind to the color red. Yeah, so that's exactly what um, the title is in reference to. So when he's speaking about the most red blood he'd ever seen, it then fades into grey and he reveals that he has lost, it's seared into his brain, he has then lost the ability to perceive red because of yes. the horror. And because of this, he seeks help from a peer yes. played by Mr... Scott Bakula. Mr. Captain Archer from the Star Trek Enterprise, <laughs> my beloved Scott Bakula. Um, <laughs> making, making the jump from, well, the leap, rather, the <laughs> quantum leap from TV to the big screen. Plays name, who I, well, I can't remember, Doctor something, Doctor Bob, I think it was. It is um, something funny, yeah. 
yeah, who, who suggests to him that group therapy is going to be, you know, cause it's psychosemantic, it's all in your head, you need to speak about these issues, and he encourages them to get into group therapy. I'm going to put a little comment here, I love Scott Bakula, he is not good, um, it, it, he feels like a TV actor on I mean, this is where this, this feels like a TV the, film. <laughs> this is this is the moment where it started to really seep in. That I mean, because instantly the pace has come crashing to a halt. You know, yeah. everything's just uh, now. Now there's just two people, two white men talking in sunny exterior locations and cars. Yeah, I, I felt like this is a TV movie now. This is all my excitement. All the I, I want the gun back in my mouth here because I'm <laughs> panicking that we're gonna get just a bland strange noir film and um i hate to say it but bacula was my first like red flag yeah could you see the red flag or did it look like a gray flag (laughs) yeah it's he he plays bob moore by the way dr bob moore which is a first draft name if ever i heard one and the so what's um uh, willis's character though what's dr bruno dr bruno is dr bill kappa Okay, so I, I knew it was Bill, Bill and Bob, but like, this can't be real, you know? <laughs> yeah, so listener, if you want to try and guess the twist as we're going along, we'll reveal that there is a twist in this movie, and the the idea that this could be like a sort of like Flowerpot Men spin-off, like they, they wake up and they've actually been puppets from a beloved <laughs> British TV show, that's, that's, that's not the twist, so we'll give you that one, but get formulating mm-hmm. about what it is, because neither you nor I got it. <laughs> oh no no i mean i gave up spoilers to my spoiler there was about 40 minutes to go for this and i i just gave up i just i didn't care and i just started reading trivia i spoiled it for myself um <laughs> I, I you just, spoiled it for me because <laughs> I, I if i'm not having fun no one can have fun um i mean i i guess i i mean i i got a twist but i don't i think there's a twist to the twist as well yeah um, layers I, I big, inception like layers to this picture i think i think the m night Shyamalan style big twist that you know the, the big talking point is you know it's fairly obvious in some ways or another yeah. but the next part of the twist or the reason for the twist let's say i know i you i would never have made it up like no, I could never have guessed it. My note is um, here. So uh, uh, as someone who's been in a lot of student theatre productions, this, I think I've, I've probably mentioned this on previous episodes, you see a number of tropes reoccur. And mm-hmm. the self-help group is one of them. It's, it, it's a major, major red flag of as soon as someone tells you, like, I've written like a deeply personal, very intensive, moving drama it's about a self-help group, then you're like, okay, sorry, uh, I'm actually uh, my scheduling conflicts. Yeah. Because um, it's just like, it's an easy thing to do with a stage, isn't it? Is you just need a bunch, you yeah. need 12 chairs, you put in some kooky characters. The worst one I ever was in, which I've told you about, was I was in a play where I played a man dying of AIDS for my sins. And that was uh, a rather embarrassing low light to my career. The the colour of AIDS. The the reason I did it was because I leave. So I'm not there for the second half of the play Mm. because I can't take it anymore. So I make my confessions (laughs) and then I run out in tears and then just hang out in the green room. But anyway, um, so speaking of the sort of TV movie type trappings of this film, it gets even worse where it then becomes like you're watching 
Amdram Theatre, but with very high calibre cast. So the first note, the most significant one, which will perhaps be a little breadcrumb to the listeners, the first note I have is Richie seeing red. So I don't know if that was a little... Uh, that That's more <laughs> clever than I felt at like 1pm, watching 1am, watching this film, being like, oh, Bruce isn't seeing red, but Richie sure is. So one of the early people introduced is a character, Richie, who is, I don't know how to put this in 1994 terminology, because uh, I, I'm either I'm either going to misrepresent a film from 1994 or I'm going to get cancelled in 2023, because Richie is non-binary-ish. Are they assigned male, assigned female? Because look, um. looking at it, I was like... Oh, this is like someone. This is like a trans person who like was born female and identifies as male. That was yeah, how I um, pigeonholed Richie. I, I, I got that. That's the most again the correct way. I think was like gender dysmorphia is what I would have probably called it in my professional like, diagnosis. In my um, from doctor Buffalo Bruno, Bill um, isn't trans, but I think they are. <laughs> and I was, but I didn't think it was going to be a big point i thought it was fairly obvious as well I, well that's the thing I, so i i just sorry, went sorry. off sorry I, I just went i was like okay richie i'm gonna assume that's a male name i was like it's clearly like a female actor playing richie and i was like but richie male name i just assumed that i was like okay this is what this is someone who um identifies as male but then in a later mm-hmm. scene someone's like you're never going to be a real girl, Richie. I don't know. I, again, I'm going to wade out of this because I'm going to say something incredibly offensive and uh, problematic. But it was just a complete minefield of I couldn't work out. And again, I, I don't want to get into its pat territory because it's really none of my business and doesn't matter what Richie's deal is. But I couldn't understand mm-hmm. what the film wanted me to think of Richie, which you were like, this is like, because it, it's kind of important to the plot. You're, you don't know, you're like, is this is this the movie misrepresenting something? Is this someone within the film misrepresenting something? But it's just, Richie is a weird character. It is, and see, that's it. I, I thought the film was, when I first seen, when Richie's first introduced, I kind of thought the film was trying to pull the wool a little bit over my eyes as well, like quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, this is, this is fairly obvious. I didn't know how much they were going to lean into it. Like you say, any sort of like gender thing. I mean, in the year so of Ace Ventura, come... I was like, this isn't going to be handled well, but it's at least not going to be Ooh. of relevance to the film. They're cho- they're checking off archetypes of like, she's an info, he's violent, they're well, that's... gender confused. So yeah, so we'll we'll, we'll move swiftly on. <laughs> Our advertisers will be very grateful. Yeah, um... sponsors are like, okay, well, one of them has blown himself up, but the other one is skillfully. <laughs> Pass this parcel away before. Uh... I, I I'll stand up for Seagal. I'll stand up for Cosby. But this is where I draw the line. <laughs> um, no, but I've got I've got two notes. Sorry, I, I just I'm bugging to get them off. The group therapy room, you know, with it has a giant hand in it. Mm-hmm. And there's a seat, and the set is very cheap. So when we were talking about the, the TV movie kind of effect, yeah, I've got a note here that was this filmed in Fraser's house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is this is poor. And my second note is uh, Lance Henriksen with a mustache, um, who is one of the group therapy. He was he was again when you're talking about big names, 
he was the one that first popped out to me again being a sucker for b movies and alien and etc etc yeah yeah i was like oh great we've got lance henriksen and then you know the cast with richie and um you know i was like okay the cast's gonna get great this is it's gonna be interesting at least this and it might be cheap it might be student like you say like almost amateurishly thrown together but it's got the potential to go chaotic again you know this could this could just be the little lull. This could just be the little spiritual journey, and we're gonna get back on track. But no, <laughs> I'd agree. Lance Henriksen was probably the best for me because he's just he's doing the least. He's just Lance Henriksen, and so he's just like a a, a a solid presence, and his character probably has the least to do. But they yeah. also have Brad Dourif, so of course, like, yeah. Um, it... So this is a uh, this is our Lynch connection. It's not our. Twin Peaks connection, sadly. You know, I, I, I love Brad. He has a tendency to overact occasionally. Let's How say, very politely. dare you? Um... <laughs> um, you know, I was trying to think. I was like, I can't remember what year Exorcist 3 is, but yeah, I love him in that. I yeah. love him in, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, yeah. Blue Velvet, June, etc., etc., etc. But he is, I mean, he's having fun. He's, he's enjoying himself here in this movie. He plays, um, Clark. I can't remember what. Oh no, it's not his name. I was trying to remember what his um, uh, problem was. What was his little stereotype? There was an like OCD one that was counting everything in the boots. I'm sure it was Brad. And then there's BDSM. Clark's, nymphomania. Clark's OCD. The, oh, okay. The older lady. <laughs> her stereotype that she was older. Uh, the BDSM guy and Richie, and Lance Henriksen with a mustache. That's it. That's all my notes. I'm and I'm crashing hard here. Okay. Scott Bakula is um he's helping out his old pal Bruno. And uh, I have um I have a note here which is the direct quote from the film. You gotta be in a lot of pain. I cannot feel the pain that I know I'm supposed to be feeling. Which just gives you a handle on the dialogue in this film. Which yes. is genuinely so bad i was like this is almost like what the room would be like if it was cast with slightly better actors uh a hundred percent i think um because the room looks like it was filmed in 994 as well yeah and everyone dresses like 94 it really the similarities are ramped up and as soon as you said it i mean i couldn't unsee it yeah um bruno only thing why that... you always play psychologist <laughs> <laughs> yeah scott bakula is the doctor of this group therapy and well, he recommends he that he he recommends he's like, hey Bruno, it would be good for you to come and tag along, and that's where um he's sort of helping Bruno manage his grief. And yes. I have another note which is fake tears. So it's it's mm. it's glaring with Bruno. Someone else has it later on. I might be Bacula. I want to say it's a I want to say it's a guy, but I okay. can't think of any scene why back where Bacula would be crying, but. <laughs> Bruno is in tears and he's got like well we spoke about it in the chat where we were like this is like a great precursor this is like an M. Night Shyamalan-esque glimpse into the future where we're getting a Bruce Willis clearly does not give a shit performance like oh. 10 years before he like perfects the art form um, before the Razzies were nominating him for a bunch of movies what he did where suffering from aphasia here we have mm. Bruce Willis clearly just, yeah, disinterested. 15 I mean, years I before mean, Cop Out, here's him I... just <laughs> phoning it in. Uh, and um, it's like, a, sure, 
yeah, like you put thick tears on my face, and I will maintain like the same expression that I would have anyway. It's um, it's definitely. I can't, you know, I can't say it's the worst lead performance I've ever seen in my life, but no. it's the sleepiest. It is definitely one of the laziest, though. It's just, again, I want some energy or charisma or something from my leads, like something to make me root for you. Um, yeah. Again, this is also a problem with the screenplay as well. Like, I, I don't care for Bruce at the entire film because, you know, okay, well, like, you can't see red and... I'm, I'm colorblind too, you prick. You know, like, um, <laughs> I, like I get, what? I get it, but I just I, so like even at this point, I was hoping the suicide from the very start. I thought that was going to be the part of the mystery. You know, yeah. noir. This is yeah. This, that, up. I didn't think it was just going to be like a trauma event that would lead to the events of the movie. Yeah, you um, were like, oh, is he fucking his patient? Is she going to come back somehow? Is yeah. he going to be framed for throwing her out the window? Is this going to be important any more than just like a person walking out into traffic you know, is? Like a, like um, a movie, you know, especially because the director you picked up at the end, I was thinking of it quite early on as Hitchcock. The soundtrack basically just steals at some point, throws some synthesizers over it in a drum machine, but it's very Hitchcockian in the opening section. And that's kind of how it was, you know, like if you're going to steal, you're going to steal what makes these movies great and things. And when we are just in this group setting with Scott Bakula, which goes on far too long, I, I was, yeah, I was grinding to a halt far too quickly here. Yeah. So uh, I, I just have one final um, quote for you before we can put our foot on the gas. And I feel like this quote may apply to you in this moment. Scott Bakula mm -hmm. says to his buddy Bruce Willis, his buddy Bruno, your mind may be shot, but I hope your body isn't. <laughs> and then they go out and they throw an American football around while two inches away from each other wearing tuxedos in an alley. No, they don't. He's like, uh, they go bice, they go cycling, don't they? Yeah, like they're yeah. running around. Uh, jogging, yeah. Something. Is this film set in San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, this. so this is, my, this is a point, especially when your film's about colour and colour of night yeah. in particular. This, this is the brightest film I've ever seen in my life. Um, with the exception the of like two scenes I could think of, yeah, this is a sunny like it's, Californian, it's... like the sun never sets in the color yeah, of night. Yeah, which which gives it that um, TV again. It's like Columbo yeah. or something. It's a TV movie. It's too bright. It's <laughs> the CSI DP, Miami. The DP you know, is just like... like like scared of shadows. The DP is scared of the dark and is like, listen, uh, I uh, don't deal well in low environments, so let's just keep everything turned up and washed out. That's it. What's the that's the answer? What is the color of night? Washed out <laughs> bright lights. Yeah. Um, and then here we go. So my note: Bacula death. Mm -hmm. which is, I'm going to say, higher... I know I've probably said something directly contradictory, but higher than Gun Barrel Fellatio. This was the high point for me, to the extent that I said it's almost like a Leonard Part 6 frog scene. The frog scene had me in hysterics for a good five minutes. This, not quite that much, but I was like, this is so ridiculous, I cannot believe what I'm watching. <laughs> yeah. Um, you said it in the chat, it turns into a scream, essentially. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like it's uh, he gets violently stabbed uh, about multiple times. times, multiple times, and then he runs um, and he throws himself through a glass window, <laughs> and he's like he's like trying to get away from the person stabbing him, and he accidentally runs into a wall of knives and then stumbles into a window. It's like uh, like Leslie Nielsen in a scream movie. Just. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, no, it is, and it, it was funny, and I agree with you. And again, it's it was the okay. Well, this is this is the ignition point, isn't it? This is this is this is yeah. where the movie starts. Mm-hmm. The rest has all just been fluff and a waste of my time. <laughs> the movie's a way to begin now, and okay, and now I'm getting it. Now it's going to be a we're going to Ryan Johnson it. You know, it's going to be Knives Out three, mm-hmm. but with Bruce Willis going through the group therapy. Yeah. Um, he, he he assumes control of the group as well, which I quite liked. He says, well, he partners up with a cop. Sorry, sorry, I'm running ahead. No, um, no, you, I, as we as we know, I'm a very petty man who's unable to let things go. So um, if you glossed over something I would I want to talk about, I'd stop you. But the cop is Lieutenant Hector Martinez, who um, is introduced with, he's being racist, isn't he? I think so. He's like um, doing he's doing like jive talk or something to a black man and then he looks at Bruno and is like, Yeah, it's a third world thing. Because yeah. um, <laughs> he's this... he's Latino, so I think that's his like, Yeah, you know what, I'm also a minority. It's it's cool. It's fine. It's okay for me to be racist. Yeah. This this character is I'm gonna say now as well, his the actor's performance is one of the low lights of the movie. <laughs> um I I am I I was shocked. This is like again when Bruce Willis is sleepwalking, and you've got you know Brad chewing the scenery and Buddy Scott Bakula. And um, when you are the worst amongst all these, you're fucking low. Okay, it's awful. So looking at my notes, the remaining quarter are probably the things that he are, are things he said. So his performance is a low light, but I think the character is an absolute highlight yeah. for me. And okay, I'm gonna agree with you there. I think it's the performance was so bad I couldn't even enjoy the bad lines and the dialogue. Like, <laughs> that's valid. We'll, get yeah. this, we'll, we'll, we'll come to this at the end of um, when we're wrapping up the Razzies for 994. But I'm saying it right now. This is this is my winner. Um, but I, but I quite like I quite like this setup. He you know he suggests to Bruno that Bruno takes over because Bruno's still a suspect as well. Everyone in the group therapy had um, reasons. Um, well, he just wants got... to keep them all together, doesn't he? He's lazy. Is uh, well, he, lit- he is, yeah. But but like you know, he's he's sleepy. But um, he <laughs> oh <yeah>. dear, oh <laughs> no. come on, Kyle, are you remaining uncancelled? Um, um, but yeah, so, do, so I, like, you... I like this though. Um, I like this setup at first. Do so. you have um? Do you have how he introduces himself to the group, or how he introduces the group to the news that Bacula's dead? I'm telling. I'm going to tell you right now, Jericho, so I'm going to jump ahead, because I can't even quite remember when the scene comes in. My only dialogue note is the 80-yard line off-screen from Crazy Bastard, they'll give anybody a license when um, Bruce Willis is flying about in his car and nearly knocks over the person that jumps out of the way. Okay. That's it. I thought you were out with the dog chair in that scene. Um, No, 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 I got that. I I didn't miss that for the world. Um, (laughs) Okay, so the way that the way that Hector breaks the news to the therapy group is with the immortal line, "Listen up, you fucking daffodils! Your shrink is dead." <laughs> um, and which, yes, um, again, which don't great. be de- don't be deceived by that line reading into thinking that it's a better character. Mm, that is, is it's a truly dreadful performance. The, I mean, this is a, this is this is the color of night in a nutshell. Is describing it is way more interesting than watching it. If you know, if you summarize this film in a paragraph or on a podcast or whatever, it's gonna sound quite interesting. Yeah. And already, I think we're overselling it. We are. Um, 
this is not good um this is not fun this sounds fun but it is not fun this um, is yeah this is like so imagine like we ordinarily we'd we perhaps could have spoken at this length without leaving the opening five minutes of the film but we've already flown through the film being like okay we're now about like an hour and a half through the film here's one here's like 30 seconds that made us laugh yeah and it's just um, filled with tedium in between because this was a slog. This was this was an absolute slog. That's exactly it. It's it just the bits that are funny, and there is funny bits. And yeah, I think you said fifteen minutes in total, which is fair. I think if you cut this in half and paste it, maybe a bit better, and just you know sped up things and cut the shit. But anytime something remotely exciting, anytime a a line like that's said, and there's a bit they enjoy. It's instantly just brought down. Every scene lasts like a minute too long. I did like some stuff in it. I liked when Bruce Willis meets Rose. I liked their, her introduction. Thank um, God, because must... I didn't. I didn't have any notes for Rose. So I was, as you were speaking, I was imagining the horror scenario in which we go through the entire movie without speaking about like <laughs> the erotic element to it. Like we just are like, oh yeah, Rose is in this with the final sentence. <laughs> well, yeah. So it, I like I like her introduction. Um, I think it's in a restaurant, isn't it, with Bruce and? Um, I'm going to be honest with you, Kyle. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's all shot like she's shot like through windows and like through reflections. And yeah, like, mirrored. Um, mm-hmm. It's weird. There's that it's one. Interesting though. There is that one scene where it's a dialogue scene and it shows you her and. Bruno's in the mirror, is he? Or like, there's there's one where it does like a shot, reverse shot of like maybe she has a close up, and then the shot of Bruno is Bruno. What should be Bruno's close up is in fact a mid of Bruno is in fact a two shot of the two of them where we're seeing Bruno's reflection and also her or her reflection, but also Bruno. And it's like, mm-hmm. nah, this is an interesting idea, but the fact that you're only using like that shot would have been cool used sparingly but they just want to show it all the time like hey yeah look at how fucking cool this is our dp <laughs> may be like scared of the dark but he knows how to compose right <laughs> and um, it's also so- like it's also like a moment of like sixth sense-esque heavy just handedness what, just what i was gonna say you, you know where the the sixth sense one is like because i watched that for the first time like years after the hype and it says like I see dead people. Cut to Bruce Willis's face. They don't know yeah. they're dead. Cut back to Bruce Willis's face. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, how on earth did anyone not get this at the time? Because it's beating you over the head with it. Mm-hmm. But this is also like, hey, maybe Rose is perhaps not all she seems. Ooh. Well, that's I, I yeah, that's exactly. What I thought she's not real. I was yeah. So my first thought was Rose is not real. Rose sus. Viciously looks like a teenage boy, I guess. Um, oh. Uh, it wasn't right away. I was like, oh, it was Richie. It's a twist. But, like, I was suspicious. But I liked her introduction because it's at least it was alluding to some sort of mystery or something different. It, For a know, moment, I was like, we're watching a sub. Something. Like, we're not watching a sub Hitchcock film. We're watching a sub Brian De Palma film. Um, yes, there yes, was exactly. like There was something that was suggesting this like film knew what it wanted to be as opposed to just hanging out with like 
a bunch of like mental illness cliches. That's it. So after now that we've introduced Rose to the plot, my other notes are fake tears again, which I think <laughs> might be maybe it's Rose actually. Rose might have the fake tears. Bruce yeah. Bruno definitely sheds more fake tears over Scott Bakula, I think. And again, oh, it's so. a, a stoic face with just <laughs> water dripping down. <laughs> like, I've never seen a more obvious, like, okay, spray the tears on and action. Um, because he just could not be fucked no. with even looking remotely sad. But after Bruno sleeps with Rose, we get another another line from Lieutenant Hector, who says, I, I think I only have the first part. You stick your dick in a barracuda's tank. And I think it's like, don't be surprised if it gets bitten off. But this is like, uh, this is a huge error on my part to not finish the thought where I'm like, I don't know how it ends. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whether I should or should not stick my dick in a barracuda's tank. I don't know what, what the risk is. You stick your dick in a barracuda's tank and you're going to have a whale of a time, my friend. Or like, you stick your dick in the barracuda's tank and you're coming out sans one dick <laughs> that was another weird line because you've just got everyone else speaking in like sort of soap opera telenovela dialogue and then this guy 100%. who's like swearing and <laughs> i mean yeah because so, he's he's almost in a in a better film he, he would be the main character bruce willis would be playing him yeah and he'd be the detective that's you know cracking wise like yeah. Bruce Willis would do. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, trying to uncover this mystery between all these weird psychologically damaged characters and he he's he's the cool wisecracking one. Well, he's um, the he's the like hard boiled detective where he's like the New York cop of like Oh, come to the coast, they said. Stick your yeah. dick in the Barracuda's tank, they yeah. said. Uh which he even has like a he even refers to being from New York at some point, doesn't yeah. he? Or is it yeah, do, yeah. Does he? Does his patient kill himself and then he goes out to San Fran moved, to visit yeah. Bacula? So in, in, no, no, yeah. At first he's in New York when he's okay, in his yeah. office. And yeah. then off to the sunshine. So we get a noir film for 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, straight to the sunny pools. Which the thing I wanted to bring up there is just Bruce Willis has a storied history of playing cops, not least in Cop Out. But is he believable as a psychiatrist to you? Uh, uh, I'm going to be honest, I, to an extent, I'm not going to be super hard. I mean, I hate to say this, but, you know, like, if I can believe Schwarzenegger is can be a, you know... Watch what you say. Kind, <laughs> a kindergarten cop, you know, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief if he's willing to put in a bit of a performance. Because I don't think Bruce Willis is, like, weird looking in terms of, like, Seagal or, you know, Van Damme. He doesn't have a weird accent. He doesn't... He's he's I kind of get it, but his performance is so bad. Well, that that's what I never believe it. That's what I want to say is like he's not great as a psychiatrist. He's not fundamentally like unbelievable in the role in the way that when they have Arnie playing a scientist is. But that's yeah. almost because he's doing nothing. So it's not like he's doing like a cop performance or like he's well, doing so little it, that he can kind of be anything. The it's issue not, is that the, you can tell the film desperately wants him to be a cop rather than a psychiatrist. Well, that's exactly it. I think I think he can do it. He could make me believe, but he's not going to do it here. In a better movie, he is capable of playing this part. And, 100%. Uh, yeah, um, it's just the film is like, it's almost like they start shooting and then three quarters of the way through, they're like, why can't he be Lieutenant Hector? Why can't this be like the tough 
like the tough wisecracking New York cop? Because because spoilers, Lieutenant Hector doesn't hang on. Um, <laughs> okay, thank you. So seeing right into there. Yeah. So the the set piece of this film, like the reason that people, the reason that nineteen ninety four audiences yeah. came to the theater, what the Wikipedia page reveals, Maxim magazine awarded as the best sex scene in cinema history. Bruno um, and Rose. So I don't know. I, I it's not my place to comment because I, I don't care. Um, I don't. It's not. It's not the room levels. Um, it's not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to, to comment on it. It's was really hard to watch this. Sometimes I was sitting here with my laptop with the headphones on, watching Color Night, um, while talking to you, mm-hmm. um, while my girlfriend watched a better movie on the TV in the same room, and it was uncomfortable um so maybe maybe in a different setting i don't know it wouldn't be so weird <laughs> but i did not expect i didn't expect this to be our first ha- dong hanging in razzies i well i wouldn't have never have guessed it you had spoiled it for yourself because you'd already checked out and were just looking things up about the film or i don't know writing your spec licorice pizza screenplay but i i just saw it and i was like ah stunt double Don't disappointing and then because it is just shot and i like below the like torso down and then you revealed to me no that's actually bruce willis and then the controversy around this so that's all anyone speaks about is bruce willis's dick that's the, the degree to which this film has a legacy it's as the bruce willis dick pick um yep. and even our beloved mr razzy who in the entry to his book for this film he's like oh bruce gets his teeny weenie out he gives the he gives the time code he's like go to this chapter of the dvd and you can see bruno's teeny weenie and i was like that's harsh like it's not it's not laughably it's just normal like you don't get a great glimpse but it's certainly not remarkable either way i wouldn't say he's underwater and like the DP, like, I don't know, the DP's not being particularly flattering. He might have chosen, like, a better lens. But, like, with the distortion of water, side-on, whatever, you don't see it and go, like, ah, ha, ha, oh, my God, Bruce Willis has, uh, like, has, like, a pinky for a dick. Um, you're just like, yeah, whatever, normal, not worthy of yeah. a mark. But Mr. Razzie's latched onto that as, like... Listen, it's not enough to mock this man for having aphasia. We also need to just like humiliate him in front of the entire world for the size of his penis. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's it. It's, it's I guess it's someone, and it's almost like a a marketing trick. You know, you would rent the video or whatever with the expectation that this is the erotic thriller where you know Willis Hangs Dong. It's going to be, and it's so on. You know, it's not. Well, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. I don't. I I wouldn't imagine. I'm not saying himself i'm just saying i think it was sold that way um, well controversy is almost made up friend of the show chris nielsen who's just our Segal episode i was talking to him about this and he was saying that apparently the trailer he was like the trailer he's like i haven't seen the movie but the trailer was on i've seen the trailer many a time it's like it was in every like canadian hotel room whenever i was he didn't specify what he was doing in his hotel rooms <laughs> but he was like it was always on the tv so i've seen the trailer a bunch of times and I now want to see the trailer because I'm just imagining like a '90s like, uh, like careless whisper or just like mm-hmm. some sort of sax, and they're like they're showing you that scene with a big plastered over like see, 
like the thing they everyone's coming to see in yeah. theaters. Bruno, 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 with like a big <laughs> sticker over it. Um, Dong hard too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, but anyway, like that—that's what it was sold on. I think it's, it's a—it's not—it's nothing to. It's nothing to rent the film about. You Ignore know, the um, fact that we've been joking about it like teenage boys for the past like yeah, checks watch it's, it's nothing... forty minutes. It's unremarkable. <laughs> Grow the fuck up, all of you. Come on, um, have a bit of goddamn respect for one of cinema's greatest actors. Um, but this is kind of what I've got a point about this. So the, I guess the erotic part of this erotic thriller is very. I don't know. It just feels tacked on, you know. It's like, lacking. It's not a part of the film. It's it it's isn't not, that. Like, it isn't it's not in that body heat or, or yeah, yeah, indecent proposal. There isn't like, even as much as I hated it, body of evidence. Yeah. With, like, sexless plastic Madonna, there is the the structure of that movie is set up in the way that you know where the like erotic appeal uh-huh. is meant to be. It's just they're not bringing it. Whereas in this, there's almost no space for it. It's just like, okay, yeah, he's. Well, it's he's... that Dennis effect almost. You know, he solved the crime, <laughs> full penetration, solved the crime, <laughs> full penetration, hanged on, you know. Do you um, like Do you like the picture I've drawn? It's very generous. <laughs> uh, yeah. So back on track. We haven't really spoken about the the crime that Lieutenant Hector is meant to be solving, which is that after Bacula is killed, the therapy group just starts getting off off one by one. Yeah. And so I've checked out. We've covered all we I need hope, to yeah. in terms of plot from this. So really, everything from now. The denouement of the like uh, of the film is kind of just fair game. If we speak about it, great. If we don't, we don't. But yeah, do you remember who was the first to get killed? Um, was it Lance? No, he doesn't get killed at all. Oh, but balls! I remember. Uh, I I remember specific deaths. Yeah, I remember the BDSM lad's death. Um, yeah, so that's the only note I have. So let's just speak about him because once he's <laughs> okay. out of the way, I'm done. So I have horny Goofy as my only note for that scene. Okay. Because he's got, like, he's an artist, so he draws all these pictures of people in leather and people getting whipped, and he's having sex with someone. And there's just, like, in amongst all his art, which is, again, Dennis-esque, just, like, him (laughs) doing the same scene over and over and over and over again, he has a sculpture of... Goofy, and I know in our like 2023 meme culture, Goofy's become like representative of like sickos and like I'll do it again or whatever. But um, <laughs> in 1994, pre Goofy movie, even Goofy was more innocent. Yeah. And so for uh, he has like just like sticking out, he has like a sort of like bug eyed, like Tex Avery wolf Goofy who's just sort of like looking at all these scenes of debauchery around him. It's really jarring. To the extent that when the guy then gets killed, I was still processing Goofy, and I was like, "Oh, he's been yeah. killed. Whatever. Okay." <laughs> I had the, I I never had such a again. I, mean, I always like to say I, I'm I've got quite a low bar, you know. Like to to entertain me, it doesn't take much. The to, man to who was amused like... by colors in Leonard Parsons, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and um, BDSM boy hanging upside down with chain and um, bleeding out as well. Yeah. Didn't even didn't even. 
boink at it. I yeah. I was so checked out at this point that I, I mean that's unlike me, if this was a scene in on Deadly Ground, the exact same. I would have been analysing it and yeah. the film had me invested, but I've never had a film actively put me off its own story. And again, this could be circumstances. I did think this. I was like, is it watching it on a laptop with my headphones in at one in the morning? Is it the director's cut and the extra half hour that's stuck on that's just killing me here? But I don't think it was. I think this is me looking for reasons to try and excuse it. It's fucking boring and when BDSM gimps with goofy statues are getting bled out and I don't even blink, I, I you've got a problem. Okay, so I, on that note, I have three final notes for you. So do you want to just power through them? Yep, yep, go, 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 go. Okay, Snake in the Mailbox. Yes, <laughs> um, one of my favourite <laughs> scenes. Uh, my last ever note about it was he's, he, he gets a snake in the mailbox, Bruce Willis does, and he jumps back from it. He is like five feet away from it, but he's frozen yeah. and acts like it's on top of him get to try and get help he could just the snake doesn't even do anything it's just looking yeah. at him and it's just chilling out and i didn't even think it was like he reports it as well to the lieutenant and i expect the lieutenant to be like well yeah like we're welcome california. to california yeah, yeah. Like, there's one in your bed you know like um, jesus christ that felt real tv-esque as well to me um yeah. It's and, like yeah, so, Indiana Jones, you're just looking for the pane of glass with like Bruno refused to get within eight feet of the snake, so exactly, that's why. Exactly. And the DP's not yeah. good enough to cheat the distance. No. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, sorry, next note. Dale. Okay, yep. Um, so, well, that's the twist. Just straight to the end. <laughs> straight to the end. Okay. So I, I'll try and remember it. I'll, I'll try and remember it. So the revelation, the big twist, is that Rose is Ripkey. Yeah. Um, because she had a brother called Richie, yeah, who was molested by the someone, Doctor Needlemeyer. <laughs> thank you, and either dies or commits suicide. Um, uh, Richie killed himself. Killed himself, and it turned out she had another brother as well, yeah, um, called Dale, who is the murderer, and some I can't remember how he forced her. But I think he's the reason that she becomes Richie, and it caused all the splits. Yeah. Life. So um, she, what was her what was her other name called? She had another name when she was sleeping with like all the the group. Honestly, I'd kind of forgotten about this until uh, I have the Wikipedia page up. That's how I got Needlemeyer. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was way too quick. Said, so you, yeah, not no. That much um, this says um, that uh, her other personality is Bonnie. But honestly, um, I'd forgotten that it was even named. I was just like, it's mystery person who's fucking all the other patients because they kind of talk about it a little bit talk, in terms of like well, they, all, they all they all conveniently meet a woman. Yeah, the the same day that they all get seduced and fall in love with. Yeah, and no one blinks an eye that it could be the same late. Oh, you know, she, no, they, they all had meat cutes with. Them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's the big twist. So Dale, I don't know who played Dale. I've not, I don't recognize the actor. So Dale, um, interestingly, Dale is black on Wikipedia. Andrew Lowry is Dale's actor, but I could swear I'd seen him before. Okay. Like he looks um, kind of familiar. Uh, so if you're listening, uh, Andrew, what was it? Um, Andrew, Andrew Lowry, come on the podcast. Lowry, come on the podcast and tell us about your other roles. Dale Dexter, um, come on down. Um, this this is an awful twist. This is, I, I'm so confused. There's a strange scene, like, so the ending is insane. Um, it is the ending's wild. Warehouse. 
it's in a warehouse um it's it's shot like the end of batman with the joker and batman at the church rose is committing suicide or nail gunning herself um no so um in case we haven't made it in case we haven't made it completely clear rose richie bonnie is sleeping with all the patients and then dale is murdering them and so then um, but she's not aware of the murders is dale though right no because presumably she would be conscious enough to like tell bruno like because Bruno doesn't meet Bonnie, does he? He just meets Rose. No, he Rose. meets Rose because and she's so only her I, two as, as Rose, Bruno. she's not conscious of what the other two are doing, I don't think. Okay. Um, I, I believe, perhaps, or maybe she's keeping it secret. Who the fuck knows? I was so... This movie, just speaking of attrition last week, this movie ground me to a pulp where... Yeah. Even though the ending was kind of crazy, I was like so checked out that I was like, eh, whatever, hurry up and end, please. Yeah. Um, and when they reveal the like Richie Rose twist, I said to you, I think I was like, why are we still watching this? Like, why is this still, why is this film still going on? Because it then has to get into like, oh no, Dale's like kidnapped Rose and like he's gonna. He's gonna kill ah, Rose what it is. and that's what it is, yeah. they're in a warehouse and like Bruno's there and. Like the the racist cop is there, like Hector's there, and like it all it all kicks off, and I can't quite remember who kills Dale, but someone um, kills Martinez. Does you jumps out of nowhere, and he's okay. like, a good thing. He's a good thing I've been following you, Bruno. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing I'm dead. a perv. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing I've been watching from the shadows this whole time. <laughs> and then there's like some weird like. They don't really, like, M. Night Shyamalan was also in the shadows taking notes for Split because Rose is like, oh no, I'm, I'm going Richie mode, I'm going Richie mode. And Bruno's like, no, no, it's okay, Richie's not here, Richie's not here. Um, and, uh, like, um, like, there is that moment where, like, I don't know, she's she's dealing with the, the consequences of, like, Many years of a Bruce, uh, many years of a Bruce, a Bruce <laughs> of abuse, but Bruce talks right of it. And then, like, Dale's hey. dead, and he kind of like kisses her better. Well, She's gonna throw well, herself. That's, that's my only last thought is that by kissing, she all her trauma and split personalities melt away, and she becomes yeah. Rose. And what color is Rose? Rose is red, <laughs> and now Bruce can see red again well that was like to my eternal shame she's gonna throw herself off the roof and there's almost like the dolly zoom shot off the roof and that was when it dawned on me within the last two minutes of the film as bruno finds himself bookended with the woman that he loves i was like oh so this is vertigo okay yeah (laughs) i mean i'm so ashamed that it took me this long (laughs) but i was like oh okay that's what this is this is Hitchcock made by an imbecile. Once yep. again, I retract that if the director is interested in coming on the podcast. <laughs> um, thankfully, the director is dead, so you will not be hearing this. Okay, um, cool. He's a dead imbecile. <laughs> no, shouldn't speak ill of dead. But yeah, um, this is Hitchcock ruined by studio interference. Yeah, And then, yeah, they kiss and... Rose's fractured psyche heals itself into one cohesive unit and Bruno suddenly regains the ability to support our beloved Aberdeen. Come on, you Reds. It's all back. 
And then that's yeah, it. That's it. That's it. Roll credits out. <laughs> they don't even do like they don't even do fade to red or anything like kind of cool no, with like it's just like done great and so um, we so we we watched this film and then I read Mr. Razzie's entry and Mr. Razzie was like said that his when he was seeing this in the cinema he was like sitting in the theatre sitting in the empty theatre and he was like as a film was sort of like the credits were playing out he was like yeah this is amazing great contender only thing it's missing is original song and then halfway through the credits they play something me and you were not as generous with our time because as soon no, as we no, saw no. director, we we're like, gone, great, it's bad, see you later, goodbye, Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the most redundant question that has ever been asked, do you think this is Razzie-worthy? Absolutely, unquestionably. This is, in my opinion, is this is going to sweep it. Um, how are you? Yeah, so I feel like we'd had a kind of good run lately. We were coming off the back of our special, but like when when we spoke about Leonard and Sophie asking us to place that in the all-time rankings and we're like, ah, Leonard was kind of mid and like Saving Christmas was also certainly a thing and Dirty Love was also like <laughs> its well, own thing. Right. So Whereas this was just bad. I 100%, and this is kind of mean, this is when it comes crashing down. We were watching our last episode was on deadly ground loved it was one of our most um agreeable like we both enjoyed the film before that we had this great run of terrible comedies you know we had um bill cosby and leonard we had dirty love and we had saving christmas all of them barely scratching 90 minutes you yeah know, they're, mm-hmm. they're 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 here they're there they're gone they're you know, they either make you laugh or you forget about them yeah but to trudge through a fucking two and a half hour erotic thriller with bruce willis i am no this is where it all comes crashing back to reality this is not good it sounds like we're describing it so much more enjoyable no Um, it looks it looks funny like i i didn't enjoy this i in my end up ranking it's not going to be at the bottom because it is still a movie there's still weirdness it's still i can understand why it might be a cult classic to some people because explaining it to someone you know you you could you could make it sound better you can convince yourself that you enjoyed it more when you talk about it but this is an awful movie yeah i i i couldn't agree more so we'll run through the other nominations that it got aside from the win for worst picture so bruce willis worst actor in color of night and north uh that's sorry that was nominated not one did you yeah that was a that was a nominee wow okay i thought you'd won it um okay no right okay i would have given it to him yes bruce willis bruce this is the worst he sleepwalks it he doesn't yeah just because he's hanging dong it doesn't (laughs) you know warrant anything um especially i think we'll talk about it how notorious or infamous uh north is as well like if you're in two of the most agreed worst pictures of the year and you're awful in both of them the Razzie is kind of mandatory at that point for me um, yeah so yeah that's a surprise then worst actress nominee we have Jane March in Color of Night as Rose um like okay so she's not an actress I think it's yeah quite she's nowhere quite near in the film enough um, to be considered a lead she's not a lead I, I I we haven't really spoke about her performance on the when discussing the film but I don't I don't think she's I mean she's bad, right? Like I'm not gonna defend she, it, but she tries. There's it's a, a lot little, there's a lot of it's there's a little, a lot, there's effort. There's effort. There's not just chewing through the scenery or having fun. She is there's a sincere performance of trying. She isn't an actress. 
he's not a director. The screenwriter can't write a story. So everyone's to blame, but I don't think she's the worst. I wouldn't personally give her the award. We're supporting actor Jane March as Richie in Colour of Night. (laughs) 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 No, you can. What's your opinion on that one, then? Um, my opinion is that she is in the film more as Richie. She's more. She has more of a stamp on the film as Richie than she does as Rose. Like Richie has more to do. Rose is just there to sleep with Bruce Willis. So it's yeah. easier to say Richie's a bad performance, but I think this is like I don't agree with Mr. Razzi pulling this fast one on us with the uh, the double nomination. So I would give it to Jane on the basis of her performance as Richie, but I wouldn't go for the double nom. Okay, is that the only worst supporting actor? Uh, yeah, that's the only one. Okay, that's that's a shambles. You <laughs> expected to see Hector, I, yeah, hundred percent. Like not even just expected to see him. I thought he'd won it. Well, um, I was gonna, I was saving that for um, the second half, keeping my powder dry. But absolutely, he he was. He would be a strong case for winner. Never mind nomination. Worst supporting actress. We have Leslie Ann Warren as Sandra Dorio. Yeah, who's that? The nympho. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, thank you. I. Uh, whatever it the part's the part you know she doesn't it's tv level performance but it's a tv level character and a tv level script so uh yeah uh, whatever i'm just gonna she could win it but she could whatever it's genuinely insane to me to single her out because that is the strongest ensemble i've perhaps ever seen in terms of it is hard to like it's hard to fit like uh needle and it's hard to fit bruce wilson's dick in between them they're so like they're all so bad it's really hard to single anyone out apart from lance hendrickson where Mm -hmm. to just nominate her as like she was no better or worse than any of them including academy award winner brad duroff (laughs) yeah so i'll just say academy award nominee brad duroff so i can splice that in in case he didn't (laughs) win for uh one for the cuckoo's nest and indeed, like Nickelodeon Kids Choice Award nominee Brad Dourif. Um Yeah, so then that brings us on to worst screen couple. Any two combination of two people from the entire cast in Color of Night. Fuck off! That like you can't. No, you can't just do that. You you could genuinely see Bruce Willis and Jane March here alone. One hundred percent. Zero chemistry. Weird age difference. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, like. They, they're strange on screen i yeah. give you that but no no not not any combination because um bruce willis and bakula felt like friends almost they were <laughs> yeah. so, you know, they, they were like chemistry. friends it was like a quantum leap like moonlighting <laughs> reunion of like uh, it just felt like you were backstage at like some yeah, tv so, awards watching them hang out <laughs> Um, so, no, so that's a lie, and he's wrong. So yeah, scrap yeah. that one. Congratulations! They could have done like uh, Richie and Dale would be another combo yeah. I'd be open to, but worst director Richard Rush for Color of Night. Yeah, it's a nomination, not a winner, right? Yeah, yeah, just uh, yeah. Nomination. Um, yeah, he's really bad. It feels like your every character here is directed by someone different, or has just no direction at all, and they're just kind of guessing. You know, we talk, I said like Brad chewing through the scenery, Bruce sleepwalking, Lieutenant Martinez just doing what he wants. You know, um, it's it's so 
imbalanced through each performance. Lest we forget the Joker at the start. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's no vision here. It feels so... And this is the director's cut we watched, but it still feels so disjointed and, you know, chaotic. There's just... Yeah, it's a poor, poor, poor direction job. Um, yeah, completely agree. We're screenplay, Color of Night, screenplay by Matthew Chapman and Billy Ray, story by Ray. And yeah, nothing more yep. needs to be said. This is just like, I want to say maybe the screenplay was better than direction in that you can at least imagine a draft of the screenplay that De Palma might consider. Like he would say like, yeah, do another pass on this. But yeah. the director is the one who really drops the ball, I would say. Whereas I'm the st- story... I'm still blaming the screenplay, though, for the dialogue. And, oh, true. Know, yeah. And that's, that's, <laughs> that pulls it all back down. Um, yeah, you're right. You're right. It is dreadful as soon as you point it out. <laughs> and then worst original song, The Colour of the Night. Okay. So I listened to this before the podcast because mm-hmm. I didn't hang around to it. It is quite inoffensive. It's got like a... I quite like a title song theme, you know. Is this um, a Bond thing? That it's a, it's a, it could be a, a Bond thing. thing you've developed. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it easily could be. But you know, like this, this if this was an indecent proposal, I would have probably praised it. So I'm not. I I think I don't think this has deserved a nomination. And when we read it, Mr. Razi's review, he's only picked this just to give it more nominations. This is not like it's not an Academy Award winning song, but it's not your worst original song of the year. Especially in 1994 and what everything, you know, it's coming out around this time. Yeah, well, no, it's not. Funnily enough, it was nominated for a Golden Globe. So, uh, yeah, you're See? right. Not an Academy Award winning song. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, so the other thing that remains to be said, and I'm going to need you to fill time while I think, because I am completely out of ideas. How do you fix this film? Um, Cutting it in half is the easiest way. Like, the opposite of the director's cut. I would like maybe the producer's cut, but no, I mean cut it in half. Eighty-seven minutes. Highlight the better parts of it. The simplest casting rechoice of Willis to someone more appropriate might have helped. It wouldn't have made it any better, maybe. But like, if he wasn't sleepwalking through it, then maybe I would pay attention a little bit more and give a shit. But yeah, cutting it on half and recasting Bruce is the quickest, easiest way. But this is quite unsalvageable. That's the thing, is like, there's there's so many things wrong with it that it's really hard to identify. So like, we've kind of spoken already about a lot of them. Like, if you make Bruce Willis a cop, if you make him more of like a tough, street smart, wisecracking guy, like if you have this film come out 30 years earlier and be directed by Alfred Hitchcock, if you like... Yeah, if it's, if it it's to... an entirely different film, it's better. Yeah. If it's in the better hands... Um, I think I'd, following on Deadly Ground, I pictured, I did picture the scenario with Seagal. You yeah. brought it up, you know, like Seagal hanging on, but that's not the <laughs> point. If, if Seagal made this film, right, he would have 75% less lines, you know, he would, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he would ca- he'd catch the killer in the first half an hour and then he'd solve everyone's <laughs> problems, you know? Listen, <laughs> and- <laughs> mental health is an important crisis fi- facing the nation. People are ashamed. They're stigmatized. We need to take action. And they're rude. <laughs> so, I, you know, you would have caught, caught the girl at the start as well, you know, yeah. by the wrist, you know? Like, yeah. um, there's um, other things around 1994 that could have made this more fun, but this is not, not, I don't think it's an easy fix. I do have one for you, though. 
which is okay. um, there are moments when this film sings and it is in the Joker scene at the start and it's in Scott Bakula's death. So if you just give this more of a Wes Craven type energy where all of the killings are really oh, weird, yeah. like or maybe even Seven, you know, with the like John Doe's twisted killings, if you 100%. make this more pulpy and just like insane. If you Pick just, a lane. Exactly. Yeah, you go- if you, Go you one just, way or the other, but you can't have your cake. You can't have your thriller and have an erotic topping. You, need you to, just you need to push it a little bit more in either direction. You either need more saxophone and like sex scenes mm-hmm. and showers, or you need more like sort of like cheesy weird killings, or you need more sort of ridiculous soap opera dialogue. But just like the blend of things that it is, is this is the worst version of this film. It's exactly um, And so, on that note, we are going to say goodbye for now and we will return to you with the second half of the podcast where we will be covering all of the other winners and nominees from 1994. See you soon. Welcome back to the second half of Watching Worst Films where we cover the also-rans and the other categories from the Razzies for 1994. So, Worst Picture, of course, Colour of Night 1. Then we have north so interestingly you have actually seen north so i will leave that for you i Um, i have seen about five minutes of north because i didn't have time to watch all of it but i think that might be what we do for all future episodes is we watch the first five minutes of every nominee and if we decide we want to watch any more then that is our basis for like okay North's not worthy on that because I was kind of compelled by North. Like I couldn't watch it all in time for this, but I would want to see more. North, North is it's one of those, and it's kind of what I speak about a lot. At the time, it's hated, it's infamous. Again, oh blah 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 blah. But when you watch it back now, especially after what cinema has become as well, <laughs> um, you know, like um, it, it's it's an it's a bizarre bizarre film i mean i i can't even describe it like it's a, a story of young i watched this because it's rob reiner director of spinal pop one of my favorites oh. it's written by alan zwiebel from snl like the glory Dales. he was a uh, gilda radner's writing partner it's got a gluttony of snl cast that I it's got an all-star like. cast in general it's a great cast and it's cameo heavy you know people that are in and out yeah i i couldn't tell you who like certain characters were in half of it but and it deserves a rewatch. but it's short as well it's under 90 minutes i think and it's it's i've, I've watched north twice in a row over color and night <laughs> okay um then we have on deadly ground have you seen that film i have i seen on deadly ground um yes love it glad it's not the winner yeah that's really all i have to say is like that would be absolutely obscene if On Deadly Ground won over this because this oh, is yeah. like dreadful. Hated watching this film, and so yeah, that's really don't want to dwell on that. If you want to hear our thoughts yeah, on, no. the, on Deadly Ground, listen to the last episode. <laughs> then we have <laughs> the Specialist, which you which, have not seen, which I've not seen. Um, like okay, so I am big Stallone man. I just didn't know about this. I should have known about it. Yeah. I want to see it. I will I will watch it and I'll report back in a future episode. But um You realise you've yeah. said that for at least one film in every single episode and you've watched none of them. <laughs> That's gonna be our next special as Kyle's just gonna hit us with like, okay, 
Episode one, I said I was going to watch this. Episode two, I said I was going to watch this. Here we go, okay. run down. <laughs> I won't, because, but like, see, 1994 is what I spoke about. I've seen a lot of films from this time. This is my my era, essentially. Yeah. Even looking through As like a four-year-old, you were just... <laughs> I, I was in, in my element here. Um, I haven't seen The Specialist, so I, I can't comment on this. Yeah. So I'll pass. Um, why Earp? So I rather um, uh, rather ambitiously started watching like 10 minutes of Why Earp before realising it was three and a half hours long and I didn't have enough time in my week and also I didn't want to consign myself to another three and a half hour Kevin Costner epic when I have yeah. the postman ahead of us. So I, no I love nothing. I love nothing more than Westerns. I, I, I will sit through a three and a half hour Western but I cannot stand Kevin Costner. It's yeah. going to be something that will come up in the future, and I won't watch a three-and-a-half-hour Western with him. Listen, I love nothing more than Gene Hackman Westerns, but I will not watch, um, I will not watch anything that is not Unforgiven. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's a smooth segue into Worst Actor, where we have uh, Bruce Willis, Bruno in Colour of Night and North. So we kind of covered the Colour of Night side of things, but we'll um, discuss North, where he is credited as narrator, Easter Bunny, Gabby, tourist, sleigh driver, Joey, fingers, FedEx driver. So I haven't seen North in a wee while, I've got to be honest. It's, it is a younger film for me. I don't remember Bruce Willis in North <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know, it's like Elijah Wood, and I'm like, oh, there's Dan Aykroyd in my head, and there's John Lovitz is there, but... I, <laughs> There's the SNL years, you know, yeah. Elijah Wood's going on this journey. I can't remember Bruce Willis. They are basically small parts, bit parts. I, you can't call the narrator, the, you know, your main character. Yeah, I'm going to give him a pass on that, but he should have won for Colour of Night. And then we have uh, Sylvester Stallone in The Specialist as Ray Quick. So that's it. Great, great name, but Stallone, you know, he's not going to, he doesn't was... serve it. <laughs> okay, I wasn't about to say that, but I was going to say Ray Quick enters the pantheon of all-time Stallone character names. Speaking of which, Steven Seagal in On Deadly Ground as Forrest Taft. A joke. Seagal, Seagal's not a good actor, right? And we spoke about this in our last episode, you can get our thoughts, but we always said the sincerity, the passion he puts into it. Especially for a Seagal film, you know, he, he is genuinely quite endearing. It's weird. It's not It's not as bad. I'd, again, I'd rather see someone give a shit and be passionate than sleepwalk through two and a half hours. Yeah, so I'm not as hot on Seagal as you. I would give him the nomination. He's like a clear league away. No, yeah, He's no, like no, a no, clear no, league I'm, below winners. I'm not, not yeah, I'm, I'm not fighting the nomination. I'm just glad. Yeah. He's... I'm, just, I'm defending why it's, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> And then we have another slightly peculiar one, Macaulay Culkin in Getting Even With Dad, The Page Master and Richie Rich. So what of those have you seen? So I've seen The Page Master and Richie Rich. And yeah. I haven't seen Getting Even With Dad. I've seen The Page Master and Richie Rich quite a lot as well. These were like, I had The Page Master on VHS. I didn't have Richie Rich, but it was a rental, you know, home alone and stuff. I really like The Page Master and Richie Rich sucks, but... You know, a lot of people met, remember it. Macaulay Culkin is a child in it as well. Um, yeah. I I like him. I I think he's fine in these roles. It's it's. I I like young Macaulay Culkin. I think it's weird that he's here. Feels like a dunk again. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't like it. I wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't have him near here. 
So the only one of these that I've seen is the Page Master, which I agree. I was almost more a fan of the Page Master book because I, I don't know if my parents got me it or if it was something my dad got free from work. But I want to say I had the Page Master book before having before actually having seen the Page Master, and I I liked it. Even as a kid, I got the vague sense I was like, this feels like this is trying to send me a message, or they're trying oh, to yeah. sell me on something. Like I should go to the library, and we already all went to the library every week. So it, even as a kid, there's that faint pricklings of like, I'm. They're trying to make me learn something See, here. I, I, <laughs> this is this is the god honest truth. Okay, I am. Um, I like the film so much, I missed the message and bought the Super Nintendo game instead. Oh my god. Uh, That's perfect. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> want to read. Uh, <laughs> the film taught me nothing um, that, that I enjoyed it. And then, of course, the winner is Kevin Costner in Wyatt Earp as Wyatt Earp. So neither of us have seen this, but we both have very cynical um, opinions of Kevin Costner. So Yes. Yeah. Worst actress, Uma Thurman, in Even Cowgirls Get the Blues as Sissy Hankshaw. Um, so it's a film I've not seen and I can't comment on. Neither have I. Gus Van Sant, though. I know you're a big Gus Van Sant fan. <laughs> I, I believe you said that the Psycho remake is better than the original. It's, said, it's, said that. <laughs> it's the best Psycho since Psycho 4. <laughs> okay, and then we have Jane March, of course. Joan Chen in On Deadly Ground as Masu. She's not great. I've said it before in the last episode, but she's what her role is, which is so it's basically just running around with Seagal. Um, <laughs> it's such a mind, you know, like I can't, she isn't good in it though. Uh, yeah, so I understand the nomination. I wouldn't really say that's an actress performance that's supporting. Yeah. So it yeah, it's not good, but it's not in the right category. Then we have Kim Basinger in The Getaway as Carol McCoy. Have you seen that? I haven't. No, Walter I haven't. Hill screenplay. Oh. I know, I should, I should have seen that. Anyway. <laughs> Michael I Madsen quickly... and James Woods. <laughs> <laughs> and Alec Baldwin, so yeah, sign me <laughs> up. Um, no, I, I've not I've not seen it. And then we have Sharon Stone in Intersection and The Specialist as Sally Eastman and Mae Monroe. Have you seen, <laughs> well, you've not seen uh, The Specialist. The specialist. No, I've, not seen, I've not seen Intersection either. So this is a little poor one. Um, I... I'm not like so. Sharon Stone's in um, what cigar film is she in? She's in um, <laughs> Above the Law, I think it is, and she's really good in it. Oh. And um, she's we're going to talk about her again in the future with Basic Instinct Two um, and Catwoman and Catwoman. Yeah, so she's going to come up again and again. I don't know what my thoughts are on her at times and performances. So seeing two nominations, maybe this is the correct one, but I'm going to pass. Um, so I have seen Intersection. So Intersection is a very bizarre little oddity in the, is in the very select group of films to have shot in Vancouver and to actually be depicting Vancouver because yeah. normally tons of things shoot in Vancouver but it's always as Seattle or as somewhere else. Whereas Intersection is Vancouver and it's so Vancouver. Like <laughs> they show you all the landmarks, like... There's like they're name dropping streets all the time. It's like almost room esque levels of establishing shots. There's like lingering shots of like Richard Gere sending mail where there's like an address in North Vancouver. And I was like, hang on, is that my friend's address? Like, have I yeah. been to this apartment building? Like, why are they? So, 
So an uh, in intersection, Fifty Shades double bill, and um, well, you'll be that, right back at home. That's what I was gonna say. Is um, if we're if we're making our ultimate Razzie contender. So it's going to be shot by uh, Jan de Bont, despite despite strong contention from whoever shot Color of Night. It's going to be shot by Jan de Bont. Joe Esterhaus is going to write the screenplay. I think it has to be like shot in Vancouver because between Intersection and Fifty Shades and Twilight movies, Vancouver doesn't have the best reputation with the Razzies. And also we're yeah. going to find the rights to some sitcom from the 50s and 70s <laughs> and we're going to adapt that not particularly um, attentively. Well, but, it, it, all, it all hinges though. Can Mike Lindell get into Canada? Um, yeah. <laughs> if he can't, then we're going to have to reshoot somewhere else, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I realise I've spoken a lot about, about intersection and not so much about um, Sharon Stone. Partly because I was just so weirded out by it. I was like, it felt like a film made just for me, like a Vancouver in-joke. Like, why are they talking about, like, Denman Street? But Sharon Stone, it's like a kind of... It's an odd movie. Like, it's really bad. I would actually say Intersection is a worthy, like, uh, nominee for picture. Um, It's a really weird plot where Richard Gere is, like, cheating on his wife with... Richard Gere is cheating on Sharon Stone with someone else. And then spoilers, he dies and <laughs> it, it ends up like Sharon Stone has a letter that he wrote to the other woman saying like, I can't leave my wife for you. And he phoned the other woman being like, I'm going to leave my wife for you. And they mm-hmm. both kind of like meet up over his corpse and go like, oh, that's nice. He was ours. <laughs> and then go their separate ways. But it's it's truly a bizarre film. Um, okay soap opera-esque dialogue again people speaking in ways they haven't they've never spoken richard Gere is really bad he's probably worthy of a worthy of a nomination he has a weird haircut it's kind of a bit mullety but sharon stone of the people in intersection is probably one of the better ones so i'm gonna assume Mm -hmm. that this is just the dead weight of sylvester stallone dragging her down to a nomination and then we're supporting actor we have Rob Steiger in The Specialist as Joe Leon. Say no more, yeah. Sylvester Stallone with the Stallone um, curse. Uh, destroying yeah, everything I, he touches. Love, I love Rod. So I, I, I do want to see this film because of the cast, but I've been burned on that in the last ep- this episode. I've been burned on that. Yeah, I, I still like him as an actor, though. And then, okay, I'm going to just devote... Uh, <laughs> devote plenty of time to this William Shatner in Star Trek Generations as James D. Kirk <laughs> so um, I expected to see Generations on here a lot more even yeah. in the build up to this Generations is not like I like Generations a lot um, of course you do of course I do it's got all the elements I have it has you know Shatner and uh, it's got Kirk and Picard rather you know the two captains it was just missing Bacula it was too, well, you know, it's just missing back. Um, it's got Malcolm McDowell as the villain. Um, another another film like just plucked straight from your imagination. It's just to perfect, isn't it? Um, it's something I, I'm I'm not going to speak too much about it because once we eventually get to Star Trek on an um, episode with Star Trek Five, I will talk about this. Um, but it is a good movie. William Shatner is lazy in this but he's not the worst he's really like, that's any... surprise shatner <laughs> lazy isn't... are we speaking about the same guy <laughs> i 
leave my boy alone, okay? Um, he's she came he's from not... Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. <laughs> he is here though because he's not the worst part. He's not the worst supporting actor in Star Trek Generations. He doesn't deserve to be here. If he deserves to be here, then he needs to be nominated for nearly every Star Trek movie so far. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just it's not it's not you know you can't come in seven movies in. Yeah, he, he still tries. You, you've missed stage. the train. You've missed the Enterprise, Mister Razzie. That's, yeah, that ship he, has sailed. <laughs> he still try. He still tries to upstage and outact. You know, Picard on screen, and that's fun. So yeah, yeah no, he, he doesn't deserve it here. It, William Shatner alongside Jane March and Dan Aykroyd. Who'd have thought we'd ever see it? So Jane March as Richie in Color of Night, and then Dan Aykroyd in Exit to Eden and North as Fred Lavery and Patex. So I, I haven't seen Exit to Eden. I have seen North. Um, so I'm a I am a Dan Aykroyd fan, I guess, to some extent, with a massive asterisk. Anything post nothing but trouble, Dan Aykroyd is not the same. We're on the slippery slope towards Ghost, um, Ghostbusters, Blues Brothers 2000, and future Ghostbusters sequels. This is where he becomes almost like a, a caricature of himself. You know, you're not going to get anything that he hasn't extensively done and bored to death as well yeah so i disagree on north but i maybe exit to eden is really bad and he deserves it so exit to eden is an adaptation of an Anne rice novel and Ooh. on wikipedia it just says the novel explores the subject of bdsm in romance novel form which is oh. exactly what you want from a dan Aykroyd film looking at the poster you have uh, a new comedy a no from the director oh, okay. of pretty woman and you have uh, Dan Aykroyd and Rosie O'Donnell in leather um, holding up police badges and Dan Aykroyd is wearing like a uh, collar and harness. So, okay. um... Um, so yeah, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. Um, I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you said comedy thriller and not erotic thriller. Um, so it'll be sub 90. Not the only person to hang dong this year. He was uh, <laughs> upstaged by... Bruno hey, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think Trump's seen Exit to Eden? Um, maybe. Can you imagine if Twitter was around in 1994? That slob, Rosie O'Donnell's new film, Exit to Eden, is a flop. Rosie, put it away. We don't want to see it. <laughs> if, no, if no ghost can't do it. Um... <laughs> and then, of course, the winner, Mr... Orenthal, James Simpson. The juice is loose yeah. and he is winning for Naked Gun 33 and a third, the final insult. And it clarifies Simpson was on trial for murder at the time of his win. Okay. And Good. he played Detective Nordberg. Good. Because if you didn't include that, I would have been quite annoyed. <laughs> right. So, like, have you seen Naked Gun 33 and no. a third? Mm -mm. Okay. No. Okay. I have, of course. I had the box. I love police story. I love I love the naked gun films. Thirty three and a third is the obviously it's the weakest. It's that tired Leslie Nielsen recycled gags, but OJ Simpson is the same as he has been in the previous films. Like he would not be here if he wasn't on trial for the murder of his wife, yeah. or ex wife or whatever it was. So technically, like he should not win this at all. He shouldn't even be nominated. It's only here just for some stupid relevancy from mm -hmm. Mr. Razi. Yeah, fuck that. Like, I, I strongly disagree. The worst supporting actor this year is Lieutenant Martinez from Color of Night. 
Yeah, he genuinely was dreadful. And while I was spacing out during the film, I googled it, expecting to see like uh, I think I was wanting to get his character name, so I was like, I'll just look up the nominations for the year because he'll be. And I was like, what? Hang on, he's not. It was kind of like like it would have been a good cinematic moment of me just like looking, flipping through things, being like, where? No, he must be here. Like something's gone wrong. Like where is he? Am I at the wrong year? Like double, mm-hmm. triple checking, looking for him everywhere. And he is so bad. He's he's almost one of the biggest things they've got wrong yeah. um, in Razzie history, I want to say, is nominating the older woman who enjoys sex instead of him. Yeah. But yeah, by all means, OJ Simpson, I haven't seen it. We're supporting Murderer if you want to make a oh, category yeah. for that. Um, the one time I would almost be in favour of him making a category... Um, which, as we discovered, uh, well, as we're going to cover, John Landis is nominated this year. If you want to make a category just for Landis and OJ to face off, by mm-hmm. all means. Like, I know we're very, like, we're very harsh on Mr. Razzie, but, like, that's one occasion, I think, where I would be okay with him creating a category just to... Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, like, it would be fun as well, like... Oh, we're close to Alec Baldwin as well, you know. Yeah, um, going to be fun. Like, oh, is Matthew Broderick in a movie this year? Can we laugh at some terrible tragedy that's occurred? That's, well, that's um, it. Seeing Kim Basinger in the Getaway, I was like, so you know. Oh Alec, no, we were cut so this, close to Baldwin. <laughs> so close to Baldwin. Okay, yeah. so we're supporting actress. We have a return for Sean Young in Even Cowgirls Get the Blues as Marie Barth. Mm-hmm. Again, can't comment, not seen the film. Leslie Ann Warren in Colour of Night as Sandra Dorio. I keep wanting to hover over Leslie Ann because I feel like Leslie Ann Warren is the name of an actor I might know, which I want to say for Intersection, of course, my like my bacon number for Intersection being filmed in Vancouver is like mm-hmm. two, I think. <laughs> watching it was just the crowd I was like oh yeah those are some names I know <laughs> um, um, so yeah um, probably should have been kinder to Intersection on this episode actually um, while I'm just alienating you know it's, it, Intersection the whole of Vancouver hopefully aren't listening just yet <laughs> um, okay and then we have Elizabeth Taylor in the Flintstones as Pearl Slag Hoople so how are we going to start this off? I just well, watched the Flintstones before watching, before recording. So, yeah. whereas you have, have, when did you I, last see it? I have seen, oh, not even that long, about four years ago. <laughs> okay, five, what sparked this? Were you showing your um, nephews? or <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were watching it on TV, probably about 20 minutes into it or something. And I just sat down and ended up watching it again with them. So yeah. it's fairly, re- it's fairly recent in my brain. Um, like, but I've seen this film, this was a, we had a VH, VHS copy of this. This was this was a part of my childhood. I'd seen this film far too much, um, <laughs> far too much. I said to you, um, my experience when I when I was a you know a moody teenager at fourteen or whatever, fifteen, starting to get into cult shows, and the first time I watched Twin Peaks, as soon as Kyle MacLachlan popped up, first thought was, oh, there's the villain from the Flintstones, you know. Um, <laughs> and th- this ha- this didn't happen all the time. It didn't happen with like Goodman and you know. Moranis and stuff like that, but um, I didn't know Kyle McLaughlin from other stuff. Yeah, I knew him from the Flintstones. It's this film comes out at such a brilliant crossover point where we have like screen legend Elizabeth Taylor in the same movie as Dale Cooper. It's just such a weird like passing of the torch moment where like I feel mm. like you don't. 
I feel like you don't get that so much, but um, like in the nineties, you had things like Jack Lemmon and people from like the golden age of cinema just kind of be turning up and like, oh, here's like Jack Lemmon in the Jetsons movie, or here's Jack Lemmon playing like the weird little alien in Flintstones two, or why is Jimmy Stewart playing? That's it. You've got you've got like yeah, um, you got like, Holly Berry, like you're saying, uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Um, and my only ever trivia I have from Flintstones is uh, Sam Raimi makes a small cameo in it somewhere. Um, I couldn't believe it. He's on TV playing Fred yeah. Flintstone. He's like crime scene recreation Fred Flintstone um, or something. And it's just a, such a weird little crossover. And it's it's, I mean, it's right. So it's really hard for me to separate nostalgia as well from this film. I I know what it is. I know its reception. I know people. I still find it charming. So my my opinion is probably null and void here. Well, it, about the Flintstones. Well, the film's coming up again later on, so we can maybe speak more about the film itself there. But just to focus in on Elizabeth Taylor, I I really like Elizabeth Taylor as an actor, yeah. and I think she is good in this film. Like I kept waiting for her to do something that would like to have like a bad scene, or for them to just like humiliate a Hollywood legend in some yeah. kind of like big showy way and it never happened no and, and like she's she fun like, she has kind of yeah I, I she doesn't phone it in she's not sleepwalking through it they're not no. taking the piss out of her like it's not I, it's not the easiest part in terms of like she has that sort of like back and forth nagging mother-in-law thing with course. fred flintstone and like her and john goodman like that scene that that wouldn't work as well if they didn't have like two actors with bringing a good confrontational energy to it 100 percent. in fact i would almost say beyond the barney and fred bromance the antagonism between pearl and fred is almost the best relationship in the film yep i agree with that but it just reminded me i think of like the Flintstones was like a formative thing for me, I guess. And like I hadn't seen the movie, but like I um watched the cartoon on like TV because it was just one of the very limited cartoons that mm-hmm. was on. And that was my introduction to like boomer humor and like hating your wife and hating your mother-in-law particularly. Mm-hmm. And so that I think was my first exposure to like, oh God, I hope I never have a mother-in-law. These things are... Mm-hmm. I was I I wouldn't say I was entirely with Fred Flintstone on like mother-in-laws are the hated enemy. In fact, maybe I was like, you know what, son-in-laws are the never-ending disappointment. But Fred Flintstone almost like scared me a little bit of like he just is like Wilma. I was like mm-hmm. he beats her like behind like as soon as as soon as those along, doors are closed. We've come yeah. a long way since the Stone Age, though. It's nice to see the reaction. <laughs> <laughs> By the uh, Jetsons, so, we're, we're all good. <laughs> I'm just, I'm inspired by Steven Seagal's takedown of toxic masculinity, so I just want to address how problematic Fred Flintstone was <laughs> and how when I saw Homer Simpson, who's in an otherwise relatively stable marriage with Marge, that was mm-hmm. better than, yeah. than like the, the, the lingering air of violence <laughs> whenever Fred Flintstone was around. And then we have Kathy Bates in North as Alaskan Mother, could she have been uh, in On Deadly Ground? She could have easily been on that. North and On Deadly Ground could cross over like certain <laughs> intersections. I love Kathy Bates. I can I can't remember Alaskan Mother or any dialogue pieces from her. Yeah. No, I'm not. You know what's this in between Misery and the Water Boy? Like you can do no you can do no wrong for me. Um, in between those uh, icons, else. in between those like <laughs> dramatic heavyweights, James Caan and Adam Sandler, um, 
And then we have the winner, Rosie O'Donnell, in Car 54, which I didn't, I hadn't heard of until seeing it on Kelly's spreadsheet singled out as a TV adaptation. Yeah. So she's in um, Car 54, Where Are You? Exit to Eden, the BDSM Anne Rice novel. And she's in the Flintstones as Lucille Tootie, Sheila Kingston, and Betty Rubble. Yeah, so I, I can only comment on the Flintstones with her. I know when this came out, there was like, backlash i guess um because obviously rosie o'donnell doesn't look like the cartoon betty rubble what do you um, mean <laughs> i don't know like maybe it's just it's, certain features are not similar i don't but understand I, they both have the same colored hair <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna be weird here because i i, I didn't really see the cartoon the movie was my the <laughs> again the most my... kyle contrarian take of all time <laughs> i, just, I know that... the, the flintstones primarily through the the um iconic movie there was a cartoon yeah. you're telling me was this like a spin-off <laughs> um i like i knew of it like it was i i, I knew it looked like scooby-doo i i remember bits maybe it was on the background or something but even in limited choices cartoons um i would have stuck on the vhs of this or like north or something stupid richie yeah. rich i wouldn't have ever chosen to watch it so I, I i don't care i think she's fine i don't i don't really i don't think this is a big controversial take that mr razi thinks he's doing here <laughs> um yeah what like whatever i don't think she's the worst supporting actress I, I would probably give it to jane march i guess she just seems like she's phoning it in in Flintstones, to be honest. It's maybe the film's yeah. fault for not giving her anything to do, but it just, it, she was just like, it was like, oh, here's Rosie O'Donnell wearing, like, yeah. none of the women have anything really to do. No, Wilma like... gets a little bit more, and Halle Berry's walking around in a bikini, but beyond Liz Taylor, it's not like, I, I, I struggle to see what Rosie O'Donnell did to be worthy for Flintstones, but then she's also in Car 54, Where Are You, in a BDSM movie with Dan Aykroyd, so I'm not ruling her out. Yeah, no, like, absolutely. <laughs> that's the point. It could it could be well-earned, but I can't really comment, and I don't think on Betty Rubble alone it's worth it. Okay, worst screen couple, Kevin Costner and any of his three wives, Annabelle Gish, Joanne Going, and Mayor Winningham in Wyatt's Earp. Both of us are well aware of Kevin Costner's inability to have chemistry with anyone. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I buy it. Dan Aykroyd and Rosie O'Donnell in Exit to Eden. I kind of want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> We're never going to escape 1994 at this rate, isn't it? So. Yeah, exactly. Next special. Because, like, when, this is just post-Pretty Woman as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, so Gary Marshall's going from the high of that, and Pretty Woman's also, like, gives us one of our, um, one of my other favourite pieces of cinematic trivia, which is that Richard Gere wanted Werner Herzog to direct Pretty Woman, and Herzog nice. was apparently close to doing it. Um, <laughs> I also, like, when if we stay here, like, there's something I never really talk about much, but, like, 1994, you know, it's the year of junior um mm -hmm. we there's things here that we if, if you we could have an eternity of razzie winners in this year alone and like true razzie winners as well like bizarre films and boring like whole spectrum of things come out here this is the peak of cinema everything well, everything after is just downhill is that not the cliche is people get really mad about like forrest gump beating pulp fiction and beating shawshank and like all that stuff like 1984, I think, was taken as like a, a high for good cinema, yeah. and it's also a, a good low for low yeah, cinema. Yeah, it's, it's got the contrast as well. So, um, yeah. But anyway, that's getting off topic. So, yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, we'll cover that in 1994 of the year. 
And then we have the the nom for any combination of two people from the entire cast in Color of Night. Congratulations, Jericho, for avoiding misreading two people of color from the entire cast. (laughs) And then we have a tie. So we have Sylvester Stallone and Sharon Stone. Nice little uh, rhyme there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then Um, uh, we have Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in Interview with the Vampire. So... This is where I'm going to throw hands with Mr. Razzi. I should probably oh, yeah. develop a more mature way of handling this than threatening to fight him on every single episode. But this is outrageous. Well, it's stupid as well, because how can they be the worst screen couple when neither of them are nominated? The film's not nominated in any way. Like, even if you hadn't seen this film, it's like, why Why have you picked... You can't just pick this out of nowhere. Like, back up, you know? Um, you know what I'm going to say, Kyle? It's homophobia. That's what it is. It, it's just it the is. idea of two sexy hunks being on screen together. Yeah. Mr. Razzie doesn't like it. He doesn't like them co-parenting like 100-year-old immortal vampire Kirsten it's, Dunst. It's, he... it's Tom Cruise and the hint of homosexuality. It's just Mr. Razzie runs a mile. We've experienced this through cocktail. <laughs> where, um, yeah. He just will not be able to handle any homoeroticism in his movies. I, I For the record, I love Interview the Vampire, so I, I'm... Yeah. Furious this is here. I, I, it's furious any mention of this film is in the Razzies. Yeah. Again, with the gluttony of shit that's out in Night Night 4, you know, take your pick. It's easy. Well, so, I was going to say, yeah, take my Anne Rice adaptation's name out of your fucking mouth, Mr. Razzie, <laughs> like this. No, no, it doesn't deserve to be anywhere near here. Certainly not in this category where, like, I don't know. I'd argue that that almost like set the set the template for things like what we do in the shadows. Is it's just that yeah. sort of like almost like domestic, like odd couple thing of just like, okay, this guy has made me immortal, and now I'm kind of stuck with him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's great, great film. Um, well, we um, can talk about the sequel later. Um, and. I haven't, I haven't seen any of them, but that's because Tom and Brad aren't in it. Had they been in it, I would have been first in line. But we will hand final word on the subject over to friend of the show, Kelly, vampire aficionado, who I look to as the definitive authority on all number of things, not least interview with the vampire. And she said, long story short, they didn't deserve to win, but I can see why they did. I think Cruz played an amazing Lestat and is a great foil to Pitt's downtrodden woe is me portrayal of Louis. They bring out the worst in each other and it's fun to watch their back and forth. I would be very interested to hear people's reasons for disliking them as an on-screen pair since I think they play off each other so well. I have a huge bias here because this movie was my first real introduction to both of these actors so it's easier for me to accept them in these roles but I think that part of this worst couple sentiment stems from the novelness of seeing two huge actors playing vampires in a domestic situation. I think it's also very interesting that this was the first year that the Razzies included a worst screen couple category, so I suspect they got carried away and did the tie, plus the allure of interview having been nominated for two Oscars. So, worst director, Richard Rush for Colour of Night, covered that at length, Rob Reiner for North. I like Rob Reiner, um, like I said before, I don't I don't love him, but yeah, it's strange, North, North is a bad film, but it's a weird, I don't, I just don't... No, I, I like it. I don't think he deserves a nomination. It's funny how some people can just, like, fall through, like, Razzie obscurity entirely. Because Rob Reiner, I guess, this is close enough to that incredible hot streak he had of Spinal Tap, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally. 
Whereas have you seen the crap that he's been churning out recently? Of course. Everyone, it's the 90s, so this is when, like, Coppola turns, you know. Um, I yeah, exactly. John Carpenter is starting to turn out shit at this point. Like, if you had a great hot streak in the 80s, it's coming crashing to an end. It Like, music, you know, if you were a hot, if you were <laughs> fucking New Order aren't doing their best, they're world in motion at this point, you know. The 80s are long gone. I mean, I, I know we all have our, we have our Jacks and we have our Norths, but I just think it's funny how, like, Coppola, I think even towards, like, like Coppola was still on the Razzie radar, wasn't he? Whereas Rob Reiner sinks so low, he falls off it completely. Yeah. Like, is Rob Reiner not still releasing films? Yeah, um, yeah. he's still, he's still threatening like, a spinal tap too. Yeah, it's like Seagal in Russia, is he's just so far off the radar that even Mr. Razzie is like, eh, whatever. And then we have... Uh, Worst director, John Landis, for Beverly Hills Cop 3. Three? Um, Have you seen it? I've only seen one. Oh, um, it had the trilogy for Asta box set, um, of course. I I only got one from Asta, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3 is really bad. You don't. I don't need to explain. It's in the formulas running to an end. It's Naked Gun 33 and a Third Syndrome. It's just, it's flat. It's stupid. Um... Landis doesn't direct any of the first two, I don't believe. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, so it's strange that he comes in at this point. Um, but this is also It's uh, Trading Places and Coming to America. Ah. I think it's probably that maybe the... Was it a yeah, name that did the first two? I think it was that this needed a director and Murphy had had a good time working with Landis. So he's like, definitely. hey, come on in, my friend. I could be wrong and I could be speaking out my ass, but I believe the second one is a big name director as well. You might have to go Google it. But the third one is, I mean, it's 94 Landis as well, again, with the Blues Brothers 2000 on the horizon and the advent of Max Landis's acting career, A Way to Start. Yeah, like, it's a bad-directed movie. He probably deserves it. If it wasn't for Richard Rush, he'd be the winner out of my pick so far. Um, So you're never going to get this. Two is Tony Scott. I can see. I knew it was someone. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, the jump from Tony Scott to John Landis is kind of says all about the quality of the films as well it's funny we have two entrants with screenwriting offspring so we have uh john landis of course and then we have lawrence kasdan for white Mm -hmm. so i I mean i i like lawrence kasdan for other things um obvious things that we know about but um (laughs) i i still haven't seen white Earp. i i don't really think of him as a director that much um no so his actual directorial filmography is something I can't really comment on. Yeah. Apparently, Costner was uh, pulling Ned Norton. He was very um, involved, shall we say. And, uh, okay. Because um, at this point, he's like, hey, listen, where's your Oscar? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in 1994, Kevin Costner, like... We've just seen him, him, like, Messiah Complex and dances. <laughs> yeah. <with films. laughs> yeah. And then, speaking of Messiah Complexes, worst director, Steven Seagal for On Deadly Ground. Where to begin? Where to begin? Um, <laughs> you know, technically, yes, he's not a great director. He doesn't write great, you know, he, the performances he gets out of people are uh, questionable. I, as a movie, as a vision, I adore him for that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something like, it's hard to say. It's the lot, anything after this or before it has different formulas. They don't really capture the essence of Steven Seagal in the way On Deadly Ground does. As an actual director, though, you know, obviously he's not great. Obviously he's bad, but he still managed to have a cohesive voice and, you know, unlike Colour of Night, which I just fucking didn't give a shit about and the director felt like he didn't give a shit about. No one felt like they gave a shit about. Yeah, like, I, I, Seagal's not winning this for me. 
yeah, no, I'd agree. Um, and then worst screenplay on Deadly Ground, written by Ed Horowitz and Ruben Russin. So, um, do you have anything to say about your suspicions that Seagal was involved in this process? I don't think it's like shadow writing or anything. I think it's just on set. Like I'm, yeah. I'm doing it this way. I'm delivering my yeah. lines differently. Um, He's written some mo- stuff on a napkin that he wants to say. Yeah, the monologue that's you know notorious that we spoke about at the end is definitely it's definitely all him. Like it's there's no way it's not the essence of a man and some of the weirder <laughs> stuff are definitely him. And well, Goyer is also involved. So, yeah, yeah. But this is but then he's you know people are working on Kane, people are trying to make the story work. Those are the writers <laughs> that are credited. No one's really writing for Steven Seagal because he doesn't have other lines either. You know, like yeah. he's so minor dialogue apart from the odd weird quip that maybe someone else wrote. A hundred percent, he wrote and made up his own lines on the spot, and yeah, because he's he, he is known for you know he doesn't give a shit about scripts, you know. Like he's not he's not an actor he's not he's an egotistical ponytail that plays the blues but again it's not the worst screenplay it's coherent it makes it simple it's easy to follow you know my dog managed to pay attention I, yeah it's not the worst written thing it's not the worst written seagal film it's not the worst written film in 1994 so glad to see it didn't win then we have north screenplay by alan zweibel and andrew scheinman um based on a novel by zweibel Oh, I didn't know it was a novel. Um, that's new. Um, yeah, North's obviously a mess. It's chaotic. It's weird. It's it is that journey film. You know, we're going through meeting meet a character, move on, do a thing. It, so I get it being nominated, but it's not a winner for me. And then we have Milk Money. So Milk Money, have you seen it? I've just never even heard of it. Neither had I, and I looked it up. The film is about three suburban 11-year-old boys who find themselves behind in the battle of the sexes, believing they would regain the upper hand if they could just see a real, live, naked lady. Nice. The film received generally negative reviews from critics. But (laughs) but was beloved by fans of porkies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it stars Melanie Griffith and Ed Harris, and it is produced by Kathleen Kennedy, who... Strong year for Star Wars. Do you not think that she's the woman that killed Star Wars, Kyle? Do you, have you not said that to me on many occasions? Women are ruining my Star Wars. Women should not be in Star Wars. How can Ray use the Force this well? Yeah. I'm, I'm not taking the bait. I'm not saying a word. <laughs> um, okay, now it's just me espousing ironic misogyny, which isn't very funny. So thank you for not playing along. But Milk Money sounds abhorrent, and yeah. I don't want to watch that. But it's interesting so, that, that you could still make a movie about that in 1994. And that's the biggest surprise. Why is Ed Harris in it? Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't... Uh, yeah, sounds weird. I, I wouldn't want to watch that, even in an ironic way. Like, no. it's not worth my time. Color of Night, screenplay by Matthew Chapman and Billy Ray. Story by Ray covered that at length. And here we go. Big Breath. The Flintstones, written by Thomas Parker, Babalu Mandel, Mitch Markovitz, Dana Saville, Brian Levant, Michael G. Wilson, Al Eidekman, Cindy Begel, Lloyd Garver, David Silverman, Stephen Sustarchik, Stephen Sustart, <laughs> Stephen Sustarsik, Nancy Steen, Neil Thompson, Daniel Golden, Joshua Golden, Peter Martin Wartman, Robert Conte, Jeff Reno, Ron Osborne, Bruce Cohen, Jason Hoft, Kate Barker, Gary Ross. Rob Dames, Leonard Rips, Fred Fox Jr., Lon Diamond, David Richardson, Roy Tyker, Richard Gurman, Michael J. DeGatino, and Ruth Bennett. The Flintstones. <laughs> so, Jesus Christ, that's a lot. So, um, it, it only, does say... 
it okay, it does okay. say only two credited writers and yeah it, it it does say there were there were three credited writers in total and the other 31 recipients all wrote drafts of the screenplay oh yeah so this, this is, just stinks of a little piece of, yeah but this is notorious um, in hollywood i'm sure tons of movies would have that many nominees it just strikes me something mr razzy found out and was like ha 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 this would be a funny win so the only name that sticks out to me there is michael g wilson mm-hmm. bond he's wrote, he wrote my <laughs> dalton bonds he wrote he produced a lot though he, in the 90s like post broccoli and all that like the modern since the 80s he's been always heavily involved yeah. um so that, that links me to casino royale um, and that's how I imagine the Flintstones was written. You pass it about, here, mate, can you have a look at this? Can you make this make sense? How do I, you know, I want Elizabeth Taylor in it. How do you, how can I write her into it? You know, like, how do we do that? You know, it's just get some money. It's favors. It's just, if they're, if they're uncredited, then it's just calling in favors. If they are credited, then it's just so they can get a buck, I guess, help out a friend. I honestly think the Flintstones was pretty cohesive. I can't even see like separate takes on movies that it wanted to be. Like it's not, it's not incredible. But I that the 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 narrative that drives it of Barney lies to get Fred job and Fred, yeah, like it's it seems like a singular vision. I think this is the opposite. I think every screenwriter in Hollywood was itching to get their hands on the Flintstones. And so they were just contributing like one-off gags of like, what's well, the thing it. you'd I've, like to see in Flintstones? That's what I meant by Casino Royale, the 1967 one. It's like, oh, put in a joke, you know, like, I'll yeah. give this to my friend. Put in. You write a and line for a little creature that's going to say, it's a living. Exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> I would call it the, the Mike Love line of <laughs> what do I need to do to get credited? Well, I, I said... <laughs> I, I told you to use three words in that, like, give me a credit. You know, you might have done everything else, but I, I suggested one word or a line, give me a credit, give me more money. Cynical, but when you're making a Flintstones movie where that's kind of some of the point of the film as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, it's okay. So yeah, just to, um, just because this is our last opportunity for um, general Flintstones talk, I guess it does come up later on, but um, so I didn't really see it when I was a kid. So I feel like I can confidently say this isn't nostalgia, or at the very least it's nostalgia for an era. I thought it was okay. Like I thought it was fine. Like um, I, I had like a little, um, th- was this the same time as Casper? I think so. I think Casper might be... Casper's 95, sorry. Okay. Well, I had a little Flintstones bubble watch, which I often wore interchangeably, or indeed on the opposite wrist from my Casper bubble watch. Um, so that's how this plays into my nostalgia. But I thought it was I thought it was fine. Like, um, not good, not bad. Um, it's kind of... It's very interesting from a visual standpoint. Yeah. And what you were saying last week with the being that transition point between practical effects and CGI, I was really surprised with how CGI heavy it was. Yep. So, yeah. But, you, but you've got that glorious intersection where there is still animatronics and... Yeah, you puppet know, birds like, and there things. Is still, yeah. yeah, and it's so... It's it's a strange... The aesthetic of the film is... on. You can't replicate it. You couldn't even replicate it in the sequel. Like this is Oh, to be a such, production designer on the Flintstones making big have, polystyrene like ribs for John Goodman. Well, that's it. <laughs> it's, it's why I was trying to sell the Mario Brothers film to you because it's mm-hmm. mid-90s. Go yeah. kind of do what you want. Have fun. Yeah. Like, it's a golden um, era. It's a golden era. Excess. I love it. And then we have Worst New Star. 
Shaquille O'Neal in Blue Chips as Neon Bordeaux. Have you seen yeah. Blue Chips? Uh, I have not seen Blue Chips. Don't never heard of it. Covered on previous episodes, we've liked him in Sandman Ventures, and as mm-hmm. you said, Shaq is an incredibly charismatic man, so yeah. nothing yeah. to say here. Chris Isaac in Little Buddha as Dean Conrad. So I've not seen Little Buddha, so I can't comment. Chris Isaac. I recognize the name, but I don't know who that is. Um, um so uh, Little Buddha is a Bertolucci movie, so he'd have made after Last Emperor. I don't know if he was trying to do Condon, um, but uh, I have no idea what Chris Isaac is doing in that. Um, um because Chris, Chris Isaac, Chris Isaac, Bridget Fonda, and Keanu Reeves. That's a and, and Chris uh, Isaac would have been forty when he was in Little Buddha. Yeah. Um. So interesting then we have another chris chris elliott in cabin yeah. boy as nathaniel mayweather um so like this is obviously the film have you seen cabin boy sorry nope mm-hmm. okay uh, cabin boy's weird it, it is a cult classic i like chris elliott i like cabin boy but i understand why people don't like it it's the film that killed off chris elliott's chance of success you know you're going from letterman i think it was and this is pre yeah. you know snl time as well which wasn't a success either. You know, he's always going to be a supporting man. There's not, he's not going to be a sad man after this point. <laughs> um, but I like Chris Elliott. I think he's got like a weird energy, especially when he's younger. Yeah, like I, I like him a lot. So, and I like Cabin Boy a lot. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like this. <laughs> Our next uh, nominee has faded to obscurity. Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Dumb and Dumber, and The Mask as Ace Ventura, Lloyd Christmas, and Stanley Ipkiss slash The Mask. So, I mean, this is, isn't even dropping the ball. This is just like, clearly, I don't know, maybe to some people, Jim Carrey was like a Josh Gad or a James Corden, but like, for three of like the biggest defining performances, biggest yeah. defining comedic performances of the 90s, I guess and he rubbed it's... someone the wrong way. Well, that's it. This is fucking stupid, and this is this is personal as well. This is uh, this is a contrarian hipster yeah. opinion. You cannot say like the only fucking thing about you know Jim Carrey's the worst new star. I would have loved The Mask if it wasn't for Jim Carrey. You know, I, <laughs> fucking Ace Ventura would have been a blast if it wasn't for Jim Carrey. You know, like, like actually fuck right off. Like, when he when he's stupid. Just burst on the scene. Like I can understand how, like even now with like us saying Josh Gad, James Corden, whatever, those people are annoying primarily because they're oversaturated. Yeah. Whereas James Carey is Jim Carey. (laughs) (laughs) Jim Carey has just burst on the scene. So for you to be immediately worn out on him, like yeah, is Mr. Razzie like I could have done that. I could have been Ace Ventura. so bizarre um again the, the only part of dumb and dumber like i disliked was jim carrey like yeah. no it's fucking exactly you, you would nominate him for other stuff wouldn't exactly you? the film would be tearing apart like this is such yeah. a personal weird 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 nomination if it won i'd have been much more angry but um it just makes me wonder if like uh i like to just imagine like mr razzy at the back of the audience during raw being like i didn't really care for that or like seeing robin <laughs> williams burst onto the scene and just like yeah. like being like ah yeah personally not my bag <laughs> no, <laughs> this guy's the worst thing i've seen in the past year <laughs> all these electric um. comedy moments and he's just like ah eh, sucks <laughs> so fucking it's so um, weird but yeah continue um but like you would struggle to find a more star making year than that <laughs> yeah like it's, it's 
I, 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 I just don't understand it. It's yeah. so, um, yeah. so bizarre. Um, Worst film career, James Dean for Rebel Without a Cause, Giant and <laughs> East of Eden. Worst filmography. Then, then the winner, of course, Anna Nicole Smith in Naked Gun, 33 and a third. The final insult is Tanya Peters. Yeah, I mean, like, um, oh fuck, she's dead as well, sorry. Um, so all respects to yeah. Anna Nicole Smith. Obviously, she's like, basically what I said about Jenny McCarthy, minus the crude humour is how she is in Naked Gun, but mm-hmm. like, it's also Naked Gun 33 and a third, so it's, you know, it's it's not going to be her making, but, you know, she's not good in it. I would have thought Jane March would have been here, because I assumed this was her breakthrough at Colour and Night, so she's not being nominated here surprises me. Um, Jim Carrey was worse. Jim Carrey was worse. <laughs> There's only five it. spots, sorry. No one will ever remember Shark. like, fucking, let's go. But yeah, but, but I, I guess it's also got that tinge of, like, you know, hindsight of knowing what Anna and Nicole Smith you know, suffers through as well in her life. What? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay, and then we have worst original song. So, under the same sun from On Deadly Ground, written by Mark Hudson, Klaus Mein, Scott Fairbairn, The Color of the Night from Color of Night, music and lyrics by Judd J. Friedman, Lauren Christie, and Dominic Frontier, and Marry the Mole from Thumbelina, music by Barry Manilow, lyrics by Jack Feldman and Bruce Sussman. What do you think? Right, so um, uh, Under the Same Sun is something that Mr. Razi ripped pretty hard on in his yeah. review. It's not that bad. I mean, it's not I don't like I it. Do. <laughs> no, right, it's the Scorpions. I forgot it was the Scorpions. Um, yeah. You know, rock like a hurricane. And it is just the blandest of, you know, rock, like whatever rock. But I the lyrics, it's a bit Steven Seagal tinged of like, it's we're all tinge. under the same sun. <laughs> Sharing um, the same mum. I'm British now for some reason. <laughs> we don't. We don't. It's it's not to like fire down below that we're gonna get Seagal performing for us. So yeah. it, I'm gonna I'm gonna let it be nominated because it's not Seagal performing it, and <laughs> that would have been better. But yeah. it, I, honestly, it's not the worst. It's not the fucking worst song in the world. I, I wouldn't listen to it, but it's not. You know, of these three, it's the worst. I'm gonna go right. Well, I'm gonna be contrary. I think Mar- Mari the Mole is the worst. But like, I don't know. Ma- it's nothing. It's a minute and a half, and it's uh, homages other things, and it's talk song as well. You know, talk speech kind of singing. Well, that's but- precisely my point. Is I'm like, Mario the Mole just seems like a such a weird thing to single out. Was I was like, it did. Is Mr. Razi a parent? Did Mr. <laughs> Razi have kids, and they were always watching Thumbelina? Because unless okay. this is like something he listened to in the car all the time, unless this is his Let what? It Go. I find it not... weird to that he discovered Marry the Mole and got so annoyed about it yeah. he would then bring it up at the end of well, the year. I okay, so my, my criteria for this literally what one would I not want to listen to like walking <laughs> to the shops or something, you know? And yeah. I was like, okay, probably be Marry the Mole. I don't want to listen to that. I would never pick that. Um ever. So See, I, I kind of like Marry the Mole when it switches into that jazzy kind of like big band Chicago. For the last, like... the last 10 <laughs> seconds. Yeah, no. I... Um, um, I'll, I'll, I'll let that one slide. Okay, and then our final category. Worst remake or sequel, Love Affair, which was uh, starring our old friend Warren Beatty, The Flintstones, mm-hmm. City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold, Beverly Hills Cop 3, and Wyatt Earp. So... 
Um, any any closing thoughts? Why Erp one, of course. Um, uh, well, but... what, what's why Erp again? I'm sure I've said this fucking so many times, but what's why you Erp have Erp said this? Big? Yeah, it doesn't um... fucking count. Um, Beverly Hills Cop <laughs> three is the real winner here. Um, I would also give a shout out to like Mighty Ducks two. I think was this year, and there's there's worse out there. You know, if you dug through nine ninety four, you'd okay. have seen much worse. Do you want me to give you a quick blast from the stinkers? Yes, please do. So, um, most of the same nominations. I'll just single out a couple titles that stand out to me. Natural Born Killers. Yeah. Okay. Um... <laughs> Airheads, Blank Man, City oh. Slickers 2, The Cowboy Way, um, Frankenstein, the Ken Branagh one, Getting Even with Dad, Highlander 3, The Final Dimension, I'll Do Anything, Lightning Jack, Little Indian, Big City, Major League 2, Mixed Nuts, uh, Pulp Fiction, Ready to wear um, the uh, the Swan Princess. So uh, that's a little flavour of what else was um, coming okay. out in. Okay, that's quite shocking. Um, Highlander three is real bad. It's better than Highlander two. I'm surprised that's not popped up at all in this. The one I actually had a note. I did write it down somewhere. I was just frantically looking for what it was. The worst film I hate from 1994 that would be perfect for this category is the next Karate Kid, um, with Hilary oh. Swank. Yeah, no, it does. It's nominated in another category. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, like it's I and I love I such I cry kid three fan here. Like I'm low bar, low low yeah. low bar. Um, I hate the next cry kid. Um, I would have stuck that at least nominated it here. You know, it killed the franchise. It probably deserves it just for that alone. Yeah. Um. I guess I haven't seen enough this year to have any big thoughts. So. Uh. Yeah. The Flintstones doesn't deserve it. I would say. So I would no. just rely on you being able to find some dross like. Uh, yeah. Karate Kids. <laughs> and and next that's the thing. Kid or, yeah. you, you nominate Naked Gun how many fucking times? But when it. Yeah. It, it's not the worst remake. When the sequel, moment comes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like no. Nah, you fucking Yeah. Can't pull the trigger. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that concludes another episode as we chalk off another year. Join us next time when we'll be heading into uh, Kyle's deepest, darkest fears with 2007 and I Know Who Killed Me. So, <laughs> I, we I forgot and we degrade that. Yeah. I was sitting there and I was like, drum roll, please. I, I like, could oh see God, on your please. face. It was like a real time realization. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> sold that well for the audience so i'll see you next week everybody. yeah join us for that in the meantime if you want to get in touch you can email us at watchingworsefilms at gmail.com feel free to leave us reviews on your podcast provider of choice and if you want to follow us on social media you can find us at watching worst so pithy sign off um no just thanks for sticking around uh this was this was a tough one. Uh, I felt like we gave this too much time, as we often do over these Zoom calls as well. I feel like I can ramble on too much with them, but um, it was miserable, but it was a good year for a film. Um, I'm dreading next week. Um, see you then. <laughs> Yourself? Yeah. No, I was throwing over to you for a one-liner. I was like, here's Kyle ending on trademark Seagal earnestness. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to say, I'll be back. And instead you're like, <laughs> Thank you, guys. Your support means a lot to me. But you know what really needs our support? The planet. Because global warming is... And I'm going to fade out on that. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, we right. should have had the, the guy, remember? Well, that was our ending, was the guy who's like echoes over the, Hey, pendejo, 
you <laughs> you <Just> you flowers <laughs> um fucking i should have done my fucking crazy bastard don't give anyone a podcast <laughs> <laughs>